everyone. This is Amanda, and this is the Made for TV Mayhem show. We're back again with a very, hopefully, fun to talk about podcast. We're doing Monsters on television this week. And um, I did a little chair dancing with that. That was the Gargoyles theme song, and I hope everybody enjoyed it. And I'm joined here by my two castmates. So we'll say hi to them. Dan, how's it going? Good. I, I just I just noticed something. We're on Skype here, and the, the Skype that I'm on just advertised for me something called Goodnight's Bedtime Pants, the number one nighttime uh, <laughs> protection brand. Uh, they're apparently some sort of nighttime underpants with Iron Man and Cinderella on them that you wear. I'm not sure. Did they do demographic things on Skype? Because I'm a little um, confused. I have I have never requested bedtime pants. You know what? I've never gotten a request through Skype, but you know what? That theme song makes me want to pee my pants a little. <laughs> right? Well, you were so good. You were just dancing around. Yeah, like, I had to to hold it in. You know what I mean? <laughs> so maybe Skype knows. It might know. It might know that. Yeah, that was about to sort of burst upon us, as it were. But um, yeah. yeah, I am. I'm good, and uh, I I am ready to go. I hurt my elbow yesterday but i don't think it's going to get in the way of my mental ac- acumen acumen so. acumen. Ac- acumen yes you know we'll play it by ear not mm-hmm. by elbow wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. We do this. <laughs> and um also i'm here with nate hi nate hi amanda hi dan hey nate how's it going uh it's going really well um i look very much forward to discussing uh gargoyles with you both and uh, I get to go see um, Elvira this weekend, so I'm pretty excited oh. about that. Oh, where is Elvira going to be? Atlanta. At a convention? Yes, it's going to be at the Days of the Dead, I believe it is. Oh, cool. Are mm. you going with Joe? Nice. No, it's it's me and Wes are, are going down there for the weekend, and I'm going to go to the convention for the sole purpose of meeting Elvira and, and probably Camille Keaton, too. Oh, you oh, know wow. what? I actually had a glass of wine with Camille Keaton uh, about two years ago because she is really good friends with a friend of mine, and we were at a convention, and I actually love telling the story. And so anyway, he brought her to the table I was sitting at, and the music was really loud. She didn't really seem like she wanted to be there, but she was drinking some wine, and I was drinking some wine. And somehow I I got into talking to her about what have you done to Solange, Oh, uh-huh. you know, and because um, she gets I spit on your grave all the time. And I was like, what was it like working with Fabio Testi? And she just kind of stared at me like, why do you want to talk about Fabio Testi? So the conversation didn't go too far. But then we just started talking about stuff. She was living in Florida at the time. I'm not sure she still is there, but she wasn't very happy there. And all of a sudden, I think the wine hit her and she got really comfortable. And Fabio <laughs> Testi came up again and she's like, he's gorgeous. <laughs> Like she just like, he's so gorgeous. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's what I wanted to hear from you. So she was really, really nice. So I think you'll enjoy meeting her. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. Yeah, they're the main two. I mean, there's other people there that I would, wouldn't mind meeting, but I mean, I don't want to be gone um, all day long at the convention and Wes just waiting in the hotel room. Oh, that's so nice that he's coming with you, though. Yeah. You know, at Texas Frightmare this year, they're having a Halloween 2 reunion. And oh. Lance Shoot. Guest is going to be there. Will Shoop be there? Ms. Yeah, I believe Su- Su- Pamela oh. Susan Shoop will be there. I think a bunch of people are going to be there. And Billy from Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so I would love to meet some of those people. Well, that would be awesome. mark that on your calendar, Nate, because we're going. And I'm really excited because I don't normally get celebrity autographs because they're just kind of expensive. And I never know what to say to people. Mm-hmm. But I finally decided after having Lance guest in my periphery for so long and never approaching him, I'm finally going to like get the guts up and 
drool all over him while he's trying to disappear <laughs> because I love him. And nice. maybe I'll ask him some questions about some of the after school specials he did and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Billy. I need to meet Billy from Silent Night, Deadly Night because that's like everything. He's everything. He's everything. When, when is it? It's in May. It's somewhere at the end of May. Oh, I don't I'll, know if I'll be able to make it by then. I'll get the dates but... for you and we'll talk. I know Joe is planning on going. He is. He is. And I was kind of like trying to push him to push you. Oh. <laughs> but I don't think you can really push. So Joe is uh, Nate's podcasting partner for people who don't listen to the Stereo Continues, which is Nate's other fantastic podcast. Yes. And Joe and Nate have been friends for a very long time. And Joe and Nate used to go to conventions sort of in the back east. They used to drive to them. And I was living back east at the time. So we went to some monster manias and stuff together. And um, so I Joe said he was going to this convention. He contacted me. And I was like, is Nate coming? And he said, oh, I don't know. So um, I was like, well, you should like, you know, put the bug in his ear. But I don't know if you can make Joe do things. No, and Joe, um, <laughs> he's totally not the type that will be like, hey, I'm going to this convention. You want to go? He's the type that will post about it and just assume if I want to go, I'll let him know. Right. <laughs> so that plan didn't work. But anyway, so I tried to do that. But we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, conventions are really fun. I wish there was something like a TV movie convention. I don't know why that doesn't exist. Maybe because only the three of us would go. <laughs> <laughs> But it would be worth it. Well, I, I have seen like some if, – if you go online, there's some like you, – you'll see like conventions for shows like like uh, uh, near – near in Burbank. Near oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are great conventions. They, they do – there's um, some ladies I know do a Bonanza convention every year. Oh, wow. That's and cool. It's, it's basically like a room with like – it's like 20 women and they all talk about Michael Landon and Pernell Roberts for, well, there's also, you know, the Beverly Garland hotel used to have, they still have them. Um, the Hollywood collector show, whatever it's called. And they get a lot of TV. They get like Dallas and knots landing together. They do a lot of TV stuff, but it would be neat to see like TV movies. Oh, I guess they did. They did dark night of the scarecrow at a convention um, a few years ago, uh, somewhere where I couldn't get to. And, but that's really rare and that's too bad. Yeah, and this this month in uh, it's February, and this month in uh, LA is the big uh, Doctor Who convention, which oh. I have missed out on for the past three or four years because it sells out in about five. Uh, months. Are you not going this year? I'm not going. Unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, well it happens sometimes. I'll just I'll just sit quietly in my back room with my dogs, and I'll crowd my dogs around. <laughs> and we'll, we'll play Doctor Who on the TV, and it'll be it'll be it'll be the same. You know, it occurs to me that. Conventions are kind of an anomaly for people. Like, I know a lot of people who are really big fans of things, but they don't do conventions. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who are really big fans of things, and they live for conventions. And it's just kind of an interesting, like, I, I just assume that everybody wants to go to conventions. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, like, you meet people, and they're like, no, uh, that just doesn't sound fun to me. And I can't understand why. But it has gotten, I used to go to the Fangoria conventions in the 90s. You know, autographs were, like, $5. Sure. And now they're, like... If they're 20, they're cheap. Yeah. You know, and that's I, if you're lucky. I did notice what, the one thing I will say, and then I won't mention it again, but when I, I went to that Doctor Who convention for about eight years in a row, and the actual actors they bring over from Britain never charge for autographs. It's always the other people sci-fi related that they bring in, who I'm not interested in because Doctor Who is sci-fi-ish, but it's more sort of horror kind of strangeness to me than sci-fi. But it's always weird because you go in and there'll be someone from some show I've never heard of asking for 25 bucks, and there'll be six people from Doctor Who who are like, oh yeah, we'll sign whatever. 
Or they just yeah, I don't know how that works because everybody's different. So, like, they have different guarantees and things like that. And yeah. so, like, because I have a friend who runs a convention in Pittsburgh, and we were talking about, like, what celebrities we would like to see. Mm-hmm. And everybody has, like, a different stipulation. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's like, a really complicated process. But this kind of leads us into something somebody asked us to talk about. So I used yes. to go to X-File conventions. Um, I've been to several of them. They're really amazing. I actually met Jillian Anderson at uh, X-File conventions, and they were really small events to start. And the first one I went to was actually in my town, Vegas. And I met um, Tombs, you know, the guy who eats sure. livers or whatever, yeah. and uh, Mitch Pelleggi. And um, I think those are the two people I met. I don't remember meeting anybody else. And then I, they started getting bigger and bigger. And one year they had Jillian Anderson, and I got to meet her. And I have I got her autograph. It was five dollars, mm. which is ridiculous. And she was really nice and incredibly beautiful in person. And uh, those events were really really fun. We used to go in groups of like six to ten people, and we get like one hotel room. And it would just be a party for like two days and we'd hang out at the convention. And yeah, it was really, really fun. And so, you know, so the X-Files is back and um, have been back for a couple weeks now. And there's three episodes that have played so far. And it's the first time in years that I've actually sat down to watch a show while it's actually airing. That's not a soap opera. Mm -hmm. And um, and I know you've been watching it, Dan. Do you, Nate, do you have any interest in the X-Files? I know you don't like sci-fi. I never saw the original show. I I think one day Nate we can I, I maybe next time we can recommend quickly to Nate ten episodes that are horror, not yeah. sci-fi. Yeah, I think you would like some of it. It's it's sci-fi, but it's really got a horror bent to it, and they have a lot of monster episodes, and it's also got a lot of humor to it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just overall, it, it was a fantastic show. Even yeah. at the end, when I sort of started to lose interest in it, it was still pretty. Solid. It's still yeah, it's still really dark. The Brady Bunch episode, which is the penultimate episode yeah, of the show, right. is one of the most glorious episodes of anything ever. Yeah. It had my wife and I watched it about two weeks ago. I was in tears. And my wife called me a big puss. <laughs> what are you gonna do? That that happens, you know. And and I have to say, these last three episodes uh, have been pretty good. I think the first one got off to a bit of a rocky start because they were trying to shove a lot of information in there for the gaps but they've kind of eased into it and it really feels like the old series like it feels like especially this last episode feels like which was directed and written by darren morgan it feels like you could take it and drop it into like any season mm-hmm. of the x-files probably season four or five there mm-hmm. and which was their best seasons and it would fit right in and- i was i was gonna say season three is my favorite season but that's another thing completely. So I'm not gonna... I don't remember the seasons per se. I feel like, um, like I feel like four and five were my favorite, which is the one that had like Clyde Bruckman's repose. Clyde, that's uh, the Darren Morgan is season three. Clyde Bruckman's. Okay, Final then maybe it is season three that I love. Coprofages, Jose Chung. Yeah, Jose Chung is really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, last night especially the Darren Morgan episode, which is a monster episode, it was like really kind of everything I've wanted the X Files to be. Um, all the humor was there. There were some really great moments in it. There were some Easter eggs. Um, one of the best Easter eggs they had was that Kim Manners, who produced and directed some episodes, he passed away a few years ago. And there's a long scene at a cemetery, and Mulder is standing in front of his grave. Oh. With the quote, let's go kick some ass, which is what he used to say before they chewed a scene. And then next to them was a guy whose name I'm not that familiar with. The last name was Hardy. And he was actually uh, somebody who worked on the film, I want to believe. And he had passed away. So they actually had these little tributes throughout the episode, plus Kolchak and all that stuff. So I thought it was I really it's, amazing. That's cool when they do stuff like that. Yeah. It's really cool. It's like a, it's a tribute to the fans, and it's also really nice. 
to the memory of those filmmakers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially the, Kim Manners, because he was so integral to their success. And the, and the writer of that, Darren Morgan, he wrote four episodes in the original run. And every episode he wrote sort of deconstructs the series to a point where it's like he couldn't have written more because he would have just taken the show apart. But each right. one each one is beautifully done and sort of advances the show giant steps, which is wonderful to watch. Yeah, he's a real he's a really good writer. So have you been enjoying the series, Dan? Did you see last night's episode? I, I have not because we were watching something else when it came <gasps> on. And then both my and no we I did I don't like watching commercials. So I said let's wait about Twenty minutes, so we don't have to watch any commercials. Then we both fell asleep watching my <laughs> wife and I watching what we were watching, she and then we woke. We were we woke up an hour later and said, "We'll do it tomorrow after that podcast thingy that you do." And I said, "Okay, okay." So. Well, that's a, I think you really like it. It's a it's a really fun. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's everybody. Go ahead. Um, as I was saying, by the next episode, you'll both have to recommend at least a few to get me a start. Like, uh, yeah. So far, the only thing I've seen is the X Files spoof they did on The Simpsons, where they had <laughs> that's Anderson a fun and episode. Yeah. It's one of my favorite scenes in that whole episode is at the very beginning when they're talking about Homer Simpson saw an alien, and um, David Duchovny's like, "We should investigate that," and Gillian Anderson's like, "But we've got this intel that um, all this drug cartel is moving tonight," and David <laughs> Duchovny goes, "I hardly think the FBI is interested in those matters." <laughs> I, I think we can easily get you 10, uh, like, horror or, like, thriller-related episodes. Yeah. Probably. It's hard for me. Uh, well, it's not hard, but there's, like, a couple episodes that I, I really like, but they're involved in the arc of the story. So, like, there's an overall arc about Mulder, who is obsessed with uh, UFOs because his uh, sister disappeared and he believes she was abducted. Throughout the throughout the series, there are standalone episodes, which are the best episodes, but there's a couple that fall into the arc. That are really good. And so when you say recommend an episode, the first one I think of is Paper Hearts, which is yep. the one, yep. you know, where where the serial killer says he's killed Mulder's sister. And yep. then Mulder has to start to reassess everything that he had built up his entire life believing. It's it's so beautiful. But if you're not that familiar with the arc, it's kind of hard to. I would start with the host would be the first one I would say with the fluke man. Yeah, fluke oh, man's really good. Start with that one. But we'll get you. We'll get it to you. We'll get you a list. I'm thinking of the one. What's the one with the cockroaches? Oh, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, so good, that's though. War of the Coprophages. That's, yeah, uh, that's, that's a, a Derek Morgan one. That's awesome, where cockroaches are killing people in a small town. Uh, they walk and... across the screen. Oh, wait, already, already I know it. I'm recommending Home. Oh, my gosh, Home, definitely. Oh, okay. Nate, oh, right. my gosh. That's <laughs> it's so oh good, you're going to love it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'll, I'll pick it over the Roach one, because Roach okay. is absolutely terrifying. Okay, okay. It's uh, I don't know if you have Netflix or or uh, what, but it's season four, episode two, Home. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll I, get, I do have Netflix. Okay, okay, we'll, yes, we'll, we'll get you a list, but that we'll start you with that one just because we need to kind of yeah to get back because we can do this all night. I feel like, but and so, these incontinent, incontinence pants don't last forever. So. No, they don't. They don't. I'm already peeing my pants over talking about the X Files. It's so good. It's so good. So everybody, tune in. Try to catch it if you can. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so this leads me to another. So Shannon, who is somebody who's listening to our podcast, she's really cool. She uh, is on Twitter under the Twitter name Rest, Resting Willpower. And we've been talking a little bit online. And she sent um, some feedback last week. Um, and one of the things she said in her feedback was things that she doesn't like about certain podcasts is that they 
watch movies purposely to be snarky about them on their shows. And I don't necessarily want to talk about podcasts. And I feel like I misquoted myself last week when I was like, if I don't mention a podcast name, what I mean is if I don't like a podcast, I'm not going to mention it by name because that's not fair. Everybody's doing this for free and trying to do the best that they can do. And some podcasts just don't work for certain people, but work for others. Um, and that's all I meant by that. Uh, but there's a lot of amazing podcasts. But she, I thought what she brought up was an even more important talking point was that everybody watches movies differently. And so part of, I guess, my being, I don't know how else to word it, uh, you know, so my undergrad, I just went back to school and I got an undergrad degree in cultural studies. And one of the things about cultural studies is we learn a lot about individual experiences. Uh, you know, we look at race and gender and things like that in art, in the arts. And then we kind of deconstruct what that means to the person watching it. So women watching slasher movies may see something different than a man watching it. And so we all watch things differently. But sometimes, and that might be an unconscious thing, you know, where you're watching something and, and you tune into it. But then I think there are conscious things we do when we watch movies. A question I want to ask everybody was, how do you watch movies? So, and I know that's a really obtuse question, but I kind of, what I mean is like, when I watch TV movies, for instance, I always have kind of context in my head. Like, I know that very few TV movies um, got more than three weeks to shoot their film, probably two weeks in post-production, and were very, very quick efforts without a lot of money. So when I'm watching something like that, I'm not going to compare it to, you know, Star Wars. You know, I'm going to look at it for what it is and what they did with the money that they have. But a lot of people don't do that. When they watch movies, they don't think about that. They're thinking about something else. Or maybe they just don't care, right? Or And to them, there's a there's like a canon of films. And if your movie isn't Citizen Kane, then it's shit, right? And so some people do that too. So I was just curious uh, how we watch films. And I don't know if anybody can answer that, but I thought I'd start with Dan. The interesting thing, just specifically TV movies, and then I can go a little little broader, but um, the, the weird thing about TV movies is that I always watch TV movies sort of remembering the constraints that they are under. Sure. And so... For some reason, I tend to really enjoy almost all the TV movies that I see. I don't know why that is. I go, I go into them. It, it, I mean, this is with regular movies too. A apart from things that have been super hyped, you know, that I try to ignore, I go into every movie with nothing, and I just I want to watch and I want to be entertained. Uh, for example, uh, you know, like up, up, we're about to watch Gargoyles. You know, and yeah, I hadn't seen Gargoyles in 15 years or so when I watched it for this podcast, and I was entertained. I enjoyed it. In the same way... Um, Spoiler! Spo that, that, yeah, that, but we'll move that to the end. Okay. Um, uh, and in the, in the same way, it's like bad movie, uh, bad movies, <laughs> TV movies as much as what people would call bad movies, you know, or, right. or you know, but it's like... For for example, there is a movie I love called Force Four. Uh -huh. It's it's a kung fu movie. Is that with Amanda Weiss? I wish. She's it's, in something like that. Okay. It's with Warhawk Tanzania. Okay, sure. No. From Gang Wars. <laughs> from Gang Wars, aka Devil's Express. It is a kung fu movie about four kung fu fighters who have to reclaim an idol. I I uh yeah from so, like a like a uh, like a voodoo uh fetish idol. Sure, you mean like you mean like the little the little idol in the Brady Bunch. Sort of, yeah, 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 exactly. And they have to claim it and the movie is basically it I I had never heard of it until I bought the DVD like a year ago. 
but it had a guy in it who I loved in another movie, Devil's Express. So I watched it, and I had no expectations. The movie is about 78 minutes long, around the same length as Splatter University, which I just watched on Blu-ray the other day. It's a good time. Yeah, Justin <laughs> from Hysteria from Hysteria Continues is on there. Oh, is he? Yeah, he is. He, they give him a really nice, like, eight or nine minute discussion on, on the film. And I thought, wait a minute, where are my other slasher scholars? Yeah, where's her? Nate? Yeah, because I think it's it's uh, at least partly thanks to me that Justin has started to warm up to that film because his review yes. is very scathing. That's right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, and you controversy. Woo! Uh, and we could discuss Splatter University in a little bit, but Force Four is it's just it's seventy eight minutes of kung fu fights, and all the kung fu fights are done by actual black belts. So it all looks like it's 78 minutes of really funky music and people doing what look like um, uh, kung fu exercises for like 78 (laughs) minutes. I watched the film a week ago. Four days later, I said, I need to watch Force 4 again. And I watched it again. And when I watch it, I can see that the editing is kind of sloppy. The acting, I mean, it's just kung fu fighters. Almost no one in it is an actor. So there's no real acting, but the the sort of there's a momentum to the film and a joy to the film and an excitement that makes me love the film. Sure. And that's and that's I get that with a lot of TV movies. I get that with a lot of wonderful low budget movies. I want that out of a film. One of the sort of maxims we used to have for Bleeding Skull back in the day was we used to sort of think that we never want to hate a movie. If we watch a movie and we're disappointed, we always felt like it was something wrong with ourselves. And we, because I think in my review of the film Rotor, which is a wonderful shot in Texas RoboCop ripoff, I said we like to think we make we make friends with a fat kid, the kid who stands in the corner uh-huh. and everyone else laughs yeah. at, you know, in school. We go over to them and say, "Come on, friend, let's let's hang out," you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I always feel like like with movies like Last Slumber Party. Which I I watched three or four times. Then I showed to a friend and I said, I think there's something here. And my friend looked at me and said, no, this is terrible. And I said, no, no, I think there's something here. And after I literally watched it six times, I was like, oh, this movie is perfect. Now, was, that friend, was that friend me? That friend... <laughs> That friend was not you, person okay. who doesn't think it's perfect. This was like this was like ten or fifteen years ago. Well, this um, is this is. I'm sorry, I don't mean to oh no. interrupt, but just oh this no. is kind of a nice segue for for Nate because oh yes, his yes. forte is movies like Last Slumber Party. So, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? What what do you do when you watch a movie? Do you consciously sit down and think, oh, I get that this is low budget, or do you just shut your brain off, or is there any kind of process? Unfortunately, I'm I'm a little boring in this aspect because I don't think I really have any kind of process when watching a film. For me, um, like Dan said, it boils down to entertaining. Like I, the worst sin a movie can commit to me is to be boring. Yes. Because if I start to find it boring, like I just don't want to finish it. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm done with it. But as long as it's entertaining and. I think for me, I actually prefer to watch whatever, you know, I mean, it sounds a little ridiculous, but whatever entertains me the most. And I was thinking earlier today, like, if I took a movie like Grease, you know, I really enjoy Grease. You know, I really like the film, but I prefer Grease, too, because I think it's more entertaining. (laughs) A lot of people feel that way. I love Grease, too. A lot of people Uh feel that way. I have to say, I'm actually more of a Grease fan, but I have so many friends who are Grease, too. Speaking of conventions... 
Monster Mania? It's not Monster, Monster Mania. Mania. It's not Monster Mania. It's a convention in Pittsburgh. Oh, Horror Realm. Oh, I'm so oh, okay. I can't believe I forgot the name of it. The people who run that they do uh, 80s dance night on Saturday night uh, at every convention, and they get a DJ every time somebody requests Cool Rider from Breeze Two, <laughs> and they play it every time, and the dance floor like fills up. <laughs> and everybody knows all the words and the, they dance along with it and people love it. Now I've seen, I like Grease too. I like it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I don't know. Maybe it's because I saw Grease first as a very little kid and was really influenced by it. I never got the Grease two, but I know I'm in the minority on that. I actually think more people prefer Grease two to Grease one. Do you think more people prefer Breaking two electric boogaloo <laughs> to Breaking? How could you I, not? It's called I, electric boogaloo. I, I I actually I had I just got the Blu-ray of those two movies and Breakin' Two is is Breakin' is like a, a Breakin' Two is like a movie musical it's like a Gene Kelly musical and so I prefer Breakin' Two because I love Gene Kelly so and it has Lucinda Dickey who is one of my favorite oh she's uh, oh she's wonderful she is wonderful yeah, yeah everybody loves her yeah so I mean I think it's interesting because there's. I, I don't know where the conversation is supposed to go, but I just thought it was an interesting question. And mm-hmm. I do think that a lot of people go into things with certain, I don't know if it's preconceived notions, but I think sometimes when you're podcasting, you're paying different attention to movies than you would. I don't necessarily, but that's because I've seen these movies several times so far. I maybe mean, you know, even when I do, so Dan and I do another podcast called Podcast Mania, and I don't even watch those any differently than I watch any other movie. Uh, but I do, I do like low budget movies and I do kind of keep context in mind when I watch them. Mm-hmm. I will say I've defended um low budget films if somebody you know says um well it, it, you know it's no halloween or you know something like that and you know they're talking about a movie that was made for like $10,000. Yeah. I mean I've I've defended films that way. I don't know if I necessarily go in watching it thinking that way, but I will defend later if yeah. if I enjoy it and I just you know you both probably realize from listening to Stereo Continues I love a, a lot more movies than I don't care for. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'm I'm that way too. I think I really, like I said, I I really get disappointed when I come away from a movie going, I that didn't. If if I if I leave a movie going, I'll never watch that again. I'm disappointed. That doesn't actually happen a lot. I I don't know why that is, but um, that's well, just, I mean, that's, I feel like some people go into movies wanting to hate them, mm. like. Like, you know, I'm on Twitter a lot now and I've been following a lot of different people on Twitter. And there's one person in particular who really shouldn't watch television because everything (laughs) is just about how shitty it is. And it's like, why do you watch it? If you hate everything so much, why do you spend all your time watching it? And I don't understand those types of viewers. And I don't understand. Like, I think it's great to be critical. And I think that there's a it serves a purpose. Uh, and I think it's fine if everybody wants to be a critic. I mean, what's stopping you, right? But it's like being a critic doesn't mean being a jerk all the time. It means being critical about what you're watching. But if you yeah. can't find joy in something, then move on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I was um, I was part of a night at uh, the Cine family here in Los Angeles where we, uh, for Bleeding Skull, we showed, with the director there, we showed Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. And then we showed Black Devil Doll from Hell. Sure. And, you know, if you're going to dive into... And then another night we showed Night to Dismember and Don't Panic. So, you know, it's like if you're going to get into realms where people get confused and... (laughs) uh, 
that's that's sort of night it. to dismember will do it yeah night to, yeah night to dismember we showed that twice to at, at once in houston and once in uh once in la and it's uh it the, cr- the crowds really enjoy it there's nothing quite like night to dismember sure it's you know one what? of a kind it is it and really this, is this is what i have to say to all of this <laughs> you know just laugh yes. it off Yes, laugh it off, have a good time. Maybe maybe take up something else. Maybe there's something else you could do. Have you tried plumbing, folks? Maybe you <laughs> get get really there. We can always use plumbers, you know. Maybe, maybe that's where some, the joy is. Uh, and I, may I add one more thing um before we before we finish? I, because I realize that I actually don't mind if a film is boring if it's doing something really weird. So there are there's a film called Night of Horror, which mm-hmm. I I'm sure you guys might know. Is that the Civil War set one? That is the Civil War yes. set one. But that's the first one. That guy made Tony Malinowski, he made two of them. Curse of the Screaming Dead is less boring than Night of Horror. Night of Horror is literally nothing happens for seventy two minutes. About once a year I watch it. And I'm I'm utterly fascinated that you could make a movie where nothing happens. Well, that's Blood Lake. Minutes. No, no, yeah, it's Blood not. Yeah, Lake, Blood oh, Lake, no, nothing I'm... happens. That's but that's mm. the charm of it. You even well, said that yourself. It's like hanging out with buddies. Oh, it's hanging out. It's hanging out. But the, the thing about Night of Horror is that Night of Horror isn't even really hanging out. It's just <laughs> no. like it's like six six minutes of an RV driving through. Um, I forget where they shot it, Maryland. It's like camera pointing out a window of an RV for six minutes as the same song plays over and There's over. this really great scene in the, one of the Hardy Boys, and I can't remember which episode it is, but there's like four guys in the Hardy Boys van, and they're singing a Beatles song. Is and that it's the... nighttime, and then there's like a time lapse, and mm-hmm. it's like daytime, and they're still singing the same song. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one where they meet Frankenstein? Uh, I don't think it is, oh. but it might be. I can't remember, <laughs> to be honest with you. I just saw the clip recently. Somebody posted it on YouTube because it was so funny. And uh, and uh, it just cracks me up every time. They're, they're, so there's no time. You know, you don't have to sit and watch them for three hours sing the same song. Yeah, exactly. But the idea of it is so wonderful. <laughs> That it's like they got the rights to one Beatles song and they were really going to use it. Yeah, going to drive it into the <laughs> Have ground. you seen Night of Horror, Amanda? I have, and I'm familiar with it because I think Eric has talked oh. about it on your podcast. It's... Yes. It's, uh, my favorite character in the film is a piece of black tape that gets stuck <laughs> on the camera for it's like astounding. It's astounding, yep. And then, it, and then it kind of like, when it goes away, it kind of like flies in. It's like it sticks up in the like the upper left-hand corner or something. It's just like this black mark. And then all of a sudden it kind of flies down into the center and disappears like Tinkerbell. It's like the uh, the uh, Z-movie Tinkerbell just <laughs> suddenly vanishing. Oh, I promise you, Amanda, you will have never seen anything quite like this film. It it's, sounds like it's it. It's seriously like 10 minutes of a camera on a tripod and two guys in a bar talking. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I think noise. that's the scene Eric talked about. Maybe you talked about it. It's astounding. About it. I'm like, it's it's just long stretches of nothingness. And then when they do the stock Civil War footage, <laughs> oh, yes. and I was thinking, oh, my goodness. And the best part in the movie is where the, um, the main character is actually jealous of a uh, skull. Yes. He had her once. He had her once. <laughs> That's, I know a, that feeling. It's such a. I watched that the same night that I watched Night of the Demon. Oh, that's a great uh, movie. The oh, big Night movie. of the Demon. Hey, you guys yeah. haven't done that, have you, Nate? On Hysteria Continues. 
Night of the Demon? Yeah. I don't remember. I know we've talked about it, but I, I don't, don't know if it, it's been a feature presentation. But I know we've discussed it, like maybe in a recently seen or That's got to be up on your list somewhere because that's a great film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I'm I'm excited to talk about it. I'm very excited for my next uh my next pick's actually going to be a double feature. That'll oh, what is it? Oh, wait, have um, you already announced it yet, or do you have to wait? Uh, I might have to tell you off record, or the oh. guys might fire me. <laughs> okay. Well, you can email us tomorrow, because I don't want to get you in trouble. Awesome. Because I want to know. But um, uh, before we get too far off track, this is not a slasher horror movie podcast. But oh, sorry, Emma. I know. I know. It's really hard, because we, we love so many different genres, and we all love horror, so it's easy for us to get off topic. But... We are going to stay with horror. We're just going to size it down to the boob tube. And we're going to talk about gargoyles. And I'm going to start by um, telling you how the gargoyles came to be. The devil was once the most favored of the host of angels serving the Lord. But pride welled in his breast. He thought it unseemly for him to serve. The devil and his band of followers who likewise suffered the sin of pride were defeated in battle by the Lord and his host and were banished to the outermost depths of hell, never to know the presence of the Lord or look on heaven again. Smarting with his wounds, but all the more swollen with pride, the devil cried out from the depths, it is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. The devil proclaimed what was lost in heaven would be gained on earth. He said, my offspring, the gargoyles, will one day rule the Lord's works, earth and man. And so it came to pass that while man ruled on earth, the gargoyles waited, lurking, hidden from the light. Reborn every 600 years in man's reckoning of time, the gargoyles joined battle against man to gain dominion over the earth. In each coming, the gargoyles were nearly destroyed by men who flourished in greater numbers. Now it has been so many hundreds of years that it seems the ancient statues and paintings of gargoyles are just products of man's imagination. In this year, with man's thoughts turned toward the many ills he has brought upon himself, man has forgotten his most ancient adversary, the gargoyles. All right, so we're on CBS, November 21st, 1972. There is a gentleman named Mercer, is it Bowley or Bolly? It's Bowley. Bowley. He is sort of a, um, he's kind of a, uh, a pop anthropologist, sort of. He's yes. known for, for writing books that your, your average Joe seems to read. And I'm not, not to put down your average Joe. I like people named Joe, but, um, he, he seems to, uh, he, he's very much a pop anthropologist and his daughter, uh, Diana takes the photos for his books. They go to assorted places and they, put out these books and apparently they're bestsellers. This is the sort of thing that happened in the seventies. It did. Um, this, it did. This, but you, if you forgot to mention, she normally takes pictures while she's wearing a bikini top. She, she has like a, yeah, sort of the halter top uh, <laughs> thing on that, that she enjoys taking pictures in. Well, the movie begins with sort of a montage of shots of gargoyles and what the, uh, the voiceover you just heard. And then it, and then it goes to uh, Mercer waiting at a small airport as his as his daughter shows up, and his daughter um, Mercer is played by Cornell Wilde, and daughter is played by Jennifer Salt of Sisters. She'd be in Sisters, I believe, the next year. She was in one of my all time favorite movies, Brewster McCloud, two years before that. And she was also in Soap. She basically arrives, and she has like a little idol for him of some sort from somewhere or other, I forget where, um, that she presents to him, and they go to visit is his name uncle willie 
I yes. believe, is his name. They go to visit a man named Uncle Willie. Uh, <laughs> it has and, so many weird connotations to it. Go ahead. It, it kind of does. <laughs> Uncle Uncle Willie lives out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he's one of those. Um, he has one of those sort of road t- roadside um, uh, stops where it's like, um, you know, giant lizard, you know, man-eating kangaroo. No, there are no kangaroos <laughs> in the desert. They're in New Mexico, although although uh, the daughter says Mexico when she arrives. And after about 20, after about the first half hour, I thought, how come I haven't seen a single person who is Hispanic in this movie? They're all white. I thought, oh, it's New Mexico, not Mexico. Uh, they eventually they, they wind up in Uncle Willie's place, <laughs> and Uncle 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 Willie's. Oh my gosh, hey, that sounds like a uh, like a Saturday morning show gone horribly wrong. Yeah, Uncle Willie's place, and Uncle Willie has found something out in the desert, and it is a um, it's basically like a a skeleton, a skeleton of something with giant wings. Yes. And um, Mercer, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Bowley, uh, bo- bo- uh, you know, um, he's uh, he's skeptical. He thinks uh, <laughs> Uncle Willie has pulled a fast one. Uh, but they're willing to listen to his story um, because Uncle-, Uncle Willie knows Mercer from his books and he wants to be in one of his books. Unfortunately, right after uh, Uncle Willie begins to talk about this fossil, something attacks the ha- the the structure and do it you, burns uh, down. Do you oh. want to relive that moment? Oh yes, oh yes, there's Let's relive it. Uncle Willie. Uh can you uh, remember what the uh, well the Indian word was for the devils in the legends? See. Not not but the Chicos. That's it. This great chief saw the Nakatekachinko in the desert and he I had the tribe make costumes for all the elders, like the Nakatekachinko, for the uh, ritual of manhood called Nonataya. Nonataya. What about, uh, can you recall the ritual itself? Uh, Let me think. Uh, Just a minute. uh, All the young men dressed for battle gathered around the Nakatekachinko and. What's that? I don't care to know, Doctor. I just want to add I really like that sound effect they have that's like an alarm or a siren. Yeah. In the background, it freaks me out every time I hear it. That and that was what we call a gargoyle attack, right there, folks. That's what we call and, a gargoyle attack. That is the scientific name. And uh, uh, Uncle Willie doesn't escape. He unfortunately burns alive. Sadly, eh, it happens. Um, but uh, but uh, Mercer and uh, Diana do escape. But something attacks their car and sort of tears up their car, and so they have to stay overnight in the town. And they end up staying with. Um, uh, I, what is her name? It Mrs. Is Parks. Mrs. Parks, the best um, sort of motel manager ever. Ever. She, she she is. She constantly has a glass of booze in her hand. Uh, later on, when the movie, when the gargoyle attacks are building, she actually arrives at the police station 
with a glass in her hand. <laughs> expecting and then she's police. in the truck later with a glass in her hand. Oh, she's fantastic. And um, here's a moment with her. This is actually my yes. favorite scene in the yes. film. Yes, Mr. Hazelrig. Oh, whoops. <laughs> That was the wrong one. Mr. Hazelrig is in Gargoyles. <laughs> That's a whole new legend. Is what I maybe he is one of the gargoyles. I oh my gosh. It. I believe it. Okay, let's see if I can do this. I'm sorry. Here we go. Oh, uh, do you have a room, please? Uh, I'm sorry, I know it's terribly late, but we just had a car wreck. Car's being repaired over at the gas station. And, uh, we're pretty shaken up. Do you have something for us? I've got to understand that I, I got to be careful. I, I get some pretty weird types, some pretty rough customers come up this road, and a woman alone can't be too careful. Right. Uh, one room for you and the young lady. Yeah, that'd be fine. I'm Mercer Boley and my daughter Diana. Mm, room's right down here. Uh, was it Mercer? Tell me how it happened, Mercer. Uh, was it a big wreck? No, no. Was... Oh, we got a lot of doozies on this road. Hmm. Is anybody killed? No, no. Here it is. <laughs> why, why don't you have a nightcap while your daughter gets some rest, huh? Well, I, uh, think... About two weeks ago, I had a traveling salesman who was staying here who drove out on that road and got totaled by a semi right in front of my eyes. Well, the engine went right through the front seat. And just a minute before, he had been saying goodbye to me. Well, I can imagine how he felt. I love that scene. I love that scene so much. And the, the, the great thing about the audio is you can really hear Mercer's kind of like, uh, yeah, that's great. Oh, that's too bad. Kind of is, is in the yeah. background. I just thought that I know how he felt. And it was sort of like he was leaving one death and entering into another was what I think he was indicating. Mercer and Diana, they go to the cops, tell them about their attack, and they end up going back to the site of the fire and uh, arresting a bunch of um, just like, Dirt bike and motorcycling guys. Kind of hippie-ish. Yeah. And one of them is played... Yeah, and one of them is played by Scott Glenn, so we're not wandering too far, you know, afield here. The police arrest them, although the uh, the bullies aren't convinced at all. Well, she isn't. He he is a little... Maybe... I don't know what he's thinking. You know, it's tough to get into Mercer's brain. It really (laughs) is. He's he's really... He's a complicated machine, that man. But basically what happens is the film sort of ratchets up here and more more or less in their room that night, there's a big old gargoyle. In fact, several of them. And there's a big gargoyle attack and the drunk uh, motel lady gets mad at them and there's all sorts of craziness. And and pretty much Diana realizes that, yeah, the, these dirt biking guys had nothing to do with it. Uh, she she actually goes back, she goes back correct to the, to the prison to talk yeah. with uh, Scott Glenn. Yeah, she tries to explain what's happening, and this is what, what transpires. It looks like a lizard. Giant lizard. Only it has a beak. It really looks like a monster. Hold on, you got a, you got a giant lizard with a beak in your motel room. Yes, and it's called a gargoyle. My Gar- father's a scientist. It's called a gargoyle. And last night at Willie's place, a bunch of these gargoyles attacked the building, a and they caused a fire. A bunch of these big, giant lizards with beaks. Yes. But... And there was a fire, and Uncle Willie got killed. And then we hey, grabbed the here, skull, and we ran to the... You and your old man sniffing glue back in that motel? Miss Bowley, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave right now. Well, I'm sorry you don't believe me. 
but I'm doing what I can to help you. Thanks. I mean, I really do. It almost, the, the sound bites I chose makes it almost sound like a comedy. <laughs> Doesn't it? It kind of does a little bit. I mean, it's all the uncle. I, I grew up, I didn't grow up with an Uncle Willie, but I grew up uh, with Buckaroo Bob, who used to host cartoons. So it's sort of the same thing. Uncle Willie, Buckaroo Bob, they all host stuff, and then they get burned to death horribly, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is unfortunate. At this point, basically, Diana is, is kidnapped by the gargoyles. And um, Mercer is trying to uh, – there's all kinds of chaos, gargoyle attacks, things <laughs> like that. It, 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 it sort of – I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. it's. It, there's sort of uh, wonderful scenes, several wonderful scenes where Diana is taken to meet more or less the head gargoyle. They're down in caves, all sorts of gargoyle eggs, almost a la sort of. Yeah. Um, I was going to say alien contamination yeah. are sort of hatching all over the place, and the gargoyles are coming to life to make their what is it every 600 years? Yeah. They so the last one would have been 1372 was the last oh, time they you attacked. did your math. So this is I hope I did it right. I think you might have. Okay. Um, Maybe 1272. 13, no, no, it's the 13, 19. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so they're getting ready to attack again. But the thing is that um, the head the head gargoyle played by Bernie Casey l- seems to like human ladies. Well, I mean, come it's on. Je- it's Jennifer it's Salt. It's Jennifer Salt. She's <laughs> loving it. Oh, I don't know why I keep playing the wrong thing. <laughs> What's all this for? There is a great deal we must learn. We have only been alive for a few weeks. We must not let you kill us out. Not this time. What about the others? There are perhaps maybe a dozen of us. We mean no harm. You have nothing to fear. Your people have nothing to fear. But they have never understood. Why do I have to stay here if you mean us no harm? And the, the sort of confrontation builds. Mercer is very intent upon this being his big sort of archaeological sort of discover discovery. The gargoyles are attacking, and they're sometimes they're being they the the head gargoyle wants to read. He has a collection of books. Unfortunately, I can't see what any of the books are that he has. But they're all Mercer Bowley's books uh, because because you know when he drops them and she says those are my dad's books and he's like your voice pleases me read to me and then Mm -hmm. you know because he can't read and so he's a gargoyle that can't read so he's already been marginalized from society so it's like an after school special with gargoyles (laughs) yeah. And and basically the movie sort of builds to sort of, you know, we need to rescue um, Diana and the gargoyles start to attack and the gargoyles are hatching and things get crazier and crazier as it goes. And it's um it's it's a heck of a lot of fun. I, I don't um I I think I'm going to stop my breakdown right there. But well, the, the... you know, it was kind of hard for for me to pull clips, first of all, because. This is uh, streaming on Shout Factory, so people should go and watch it on there. But they don't let you pull sound clips from their thing. And I get it because it's a legitimate copy and they don't want people copying videos. So the sound probably is part of that. But I had a really hard time calling uh, sound bites Mm. because I had to get them just off random clips online. And so I didn't – but while I was doing it, I realized – Gargoyles and the second film, which we didn't even mention at the beginning, Mud Monster, that we're going to be talking about, or The World Beyond, Mm -hmm. is that these movies are highly visual. Yes. And 
and well, they're oral in a way, or they're they're like there's a lot of sound, especially in the second movie, and we'll talk about that. But they're hard to capture for a podcast. It's like you you don't understand how beautiful and awesome looking the gargoyles are mm-hmm. until you see it. Yeah. They're you know Stan Winston creations, so they're yeah they're, they're stunning. Really, they're stunning, really and that. they fly and they do all kinds of stuff, and mm-hmm. they have babies like babies open and you know out of eggs and and you can't really capture that in a podcast. So it was actually even though I it found like a gazillion clips to use, it was really hard for me to feel like except for the one with the drunk lady. Yeah, it was really hard for me to feel like I captured, you know, the essence of gargoyles. Mm-hmm. It, it's funny as I watched the the movie because I, I watched it a few times this past weekend. It's funny because the um the 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 character the Mercer character as the movie goes along, he gets more and more on my nerves. As it Aww, goes along, I like Mercer Bully. He's he's fine, but it's just sort of the way he's like he wants he wants you know he uh you know don't uh it's because th- there's a scene where. A uh, gargoyle is killed, and they're, the other gargoyles are trying to get the body back, and he won't give the body back. And it's something about that. It's like, come on, Mercer. Yeah. Come yeah. on. That, I get it's, it. I it's, get it. It's just – and it's it's like, you know, it's – and, you know, and Diana is, is sort of trying to uh, sympathize with them, and things go – things don't go so great, you know, as it goes I, along. I guess when I think of Mercer Bully, I think of that scene – where they find the truck with the blood in it, uh-huh. which somehow the sheriff managed to not get on his pants, even though he was sitting in the <laughs> truck. I don't know how he did that, but um, and I think that's the scene, or maybe it's the second scene where they're trying to, where the bikers are leaving, and you and they're near the truck, and you just see them, and they're sort of indicating she's probably dead, uh-huh. and you see Mercer's face, and so I have a lot of sympathy for him because I feel for him as a father. But oh, I see what you're saying. I, I think he is sort of cold-hearted because really all they want is their bodies yeah. for whatever ritual or death thing that they do with mm-hmm. the, you know, the carcass. And that's all they want, and he he won't let them do it. So I kind of – I get where you're coming from, but I guess my perspective was always like, oh, man, you know, here's this, his, this dynamic duo father-daughter team, you know what I yeah. mean? And then she's missing, and he's super concerned about her. So I, I always sure. feel really bad for him. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah, that's not as bad as I feel for the monsters. Yeah, you really do. Um, and it, it's funny because there are times when you forget that these are what Satan's pals, you know, that's right, and they're, that's right. And, and they're technically every 600 years they've been attacking us. And um, I hesitate to think what like we did back in like 772 to stop them. <laughs> they, you know, it must have nothing. Been, yeah, I guess well, something happened to, to keep them. What would have been, I guess, is, yeah, it's all the Native Americans, if they were in New Mexico, kept them kept them under control. But well, um, uh, supposedly, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there was a population die-out, and I don't know what year that was, but it was where, like, we were populating too much, and then all of a sudden, there was, like, less than 10,000 people. Somebody wrote a book about it, and maybe that's what happened. Oh, my gosh. I'd never thought of that. What yeah. do, we got to find out what year that is. We do, we do. Oh my gosh! I feel like I feel like that's what happened because nobody can answer mm-hmm. how all these people disappeared. But I'm pretty sure the gargoyles came. Oh boy, that'll probably happen. Yeah, I, I buy, that. I'd buy that. I'd buy that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So mystery solved. Yeah. Woo! Now, Nate, what did you what did you think of gargoyles? What do you? Um, I first saw gargoyles when I was a kid, and I had always like had the memory mainly of the gargoyle on the station wagon. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I always kind of remembered that scene, but, um, you know, as I got older, you know, I had forgotten the name of the film or anything like that. So it was one of those uh, movies where um, I always wanted to remember what it was. And a lot of people kept trying to tell me, oh, that's from Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. And I'm like, no, no, there's a gargoyle in that movie, mm-hmm. but that's not what I'm thinking about. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. I actually saw go with Grant Grant. It was oh. one of our. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was one of our Friday night movie nights. We watched Gargoyles. <laughs> How did Grant Grant take to it? Uh, he loved it as a kid, oh. too, so he still loves it today. Okay. Yeah, he's a he's a really big fan. You know, we, uh, you know, we both, I mean, uh, you know, love the station wagon scene. Um, I love the music. Oh, uh, the good. music is, is really good. And um, like Dan was saying, I, I'm, I'm never bored. You know, I mean, when I watched uh, Gargoyles this past week and when I watched it with Grant Grant, you know, a few months back, uh, I just I don't find the movie boring at all. I think it moves around at a, a pretty decent clip, actually. And I'm really into like the characters. And, you know, I to be honest with you, I had never put that much thought into uh, Mr. Mercer. Uh, but listening to you both discuss it, uh-huh. I almost want to go back and rewatch it again and think, OK, now this in mind, like, do I sympathize with him? <laughs> or, or not so much, <laughs> but I'm, I'm uh, on in agreement with both of you too about Jennifer Salt. I love her. I'm a big fan of Soap. So yeah. Yes. I, I, you know, I, I loved her on that show. You know, she played that character so well. Yeah, Eunice was like a really it, well. Eunice and Corinne, they were so different. You know what I mean? But they were sisters. Mm-hmm. And Eunice ends up with uh, Dutch, right? Yes, Dutch. Oh, I love Dutch. <laughs> I love I love Dolly Rose and, so much. You know, at one point they fought over him. You that's right. That's him, right. They're both dating him. Wasn't there, um, was she the shoulder that Billy Crystal came to when his boyfriend wanted to get the sex change? Um, do you mean Eunice? Yeah. Wasn't there like a thing where they kind of bonded? I know that there was a, there's actually scenes where he, both sisters, uh, but I don't necessarily remember um, the specific scene where he bonds with Eunice. I know he does, though. I remember that they had a scene together because Eunice, she was one of those characters that always was, you know, kind of rude and selfish and had any moments, you know, where she actually showed human side. But yeah. with, um, um, but I remember, I mean, I do know that there's a scene like you're talking about because she does kind of show like a, like a kind of more vulnerable Oops, with, you're going you're going robo but no i mean i, I just saying that i like when uh, she showed her uh, her human side because too often she was uh really mean and rude to everybody you know that shows kind of what a good actress she was and what an interesting character was because she was really cold but she also had a lot of human qualities that they would just throw out every so often whereas corinne was always kind of i think more relatable it was yes. harder to get to like eunice but jennifer salt made it happen you know what i mean oh yeah and well and what i loved about you know a character like eunice is like she would always you know throw out her little one-liners and she gave people credit, you know, because I remember at one point she says something about her brother and he kind of throws something back at her because she's cheating on Dutch and she just goes, touche. Like she knows that. <laughs> she's know. been done. Yeah. Yeah, she's really great. I love, I think this must have been the first thing I saw her in because I saw Gargoyles when I was like, I was probably like four or five years old. It's one of the first TV movies I've seen. Probably the first, maybe Don't Be Afraid of the Dark is the first, but it's one of those two. And 
I always was fascinated by the gargoyles. I wasn't really afraid of them ever. And um, which is interesting because Don't Be Afraid of the Dark terrified me. And I had a really hard time watching the whole movie till I was older. But uh, gargoyles, I used to just sit there and I watched it a lot. It seemed to play on the local channel all the time. I really rooted for them. But I've always liked lizard creatures. Like, you know, I always rooted for Godzilla <laughs> when I was a kid. And I think I just like those kind of creatures. But um I really, 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 really liked the head gargoyle. I was so fascinated yeah. by him when I was a kid. And I just thought like their little world was so amazing. And it's like that movie, like the, it's shot in like two or three different places. But the, the caverns that they use are so cool. And it looks like a place where gargoyles would live. Like with what little they had, they made like a really amazing sort of universe that you could buy, you know, as real. It's funny, the the first time I watched it again a few days ago, I had sort of completely forgot that these were Satan's um, minions out to take over the world. They just seemed like a bunch of folks sort of just trying to live and, and just survive, you know, yeah. with, with humanity. That's, what I, that's how I always see them. And, you know, it's interesting, even now when you say them as Satan's creatures, and he clearly states that in the opening, uh-huh. I still don't think about that. I think about, and that's what I like so much about Godzilla too. The thing about Godzilla was that like, he just kind of showed up one day and we made him. I mean, you know, really, because the bomb is what made Godzilla, but he's just trying to like figure out what's going on, you know? And, and then we demonize him. And that's how I always felt about the gargoyles. So it's interesting when you bring up the Satan thing, because I never attribute that to them ever, even now. I I almost, I almost wish they, they didn't have that opening there that they just told the story and there were some strange creatures right. living in a cave. I don't, cause I mean, obviously with the gargoyles being based on actual, you know, gargoyles, uh, you know, the uh, statues and such, they're trying to right. ground it. But um, it's, I, I almost think if, if that opening weren't there, we'd look at it more. Um, actually, we probably like Mercer even a lot less, or I would, if, if that opening yeah. wasn't there, because I always keep in mind, like he's going to protect his daughter. These are Satan's minions. Okay. I got it. But if I didn't know they were Satan's pals, I would think like, Hey man, let him live. Stop but doing that's that. A, you know, that's an interesting point because he does let them live. He lets the breeders that, yeah, go, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so even though they are Satan's whatever, that's kind of an interesting point that I never considered before. Yeah. So he has some sense of humanity for them. Yeah, in the end, I think after all In the, the end. In the end. Well, they didn't po- harm his daughter either, so I'm sure that's in the back of his mind, right? And they do, yeah. And I possibly it's seeing all the 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 offspring of the gargoyles and things. That may have struck a struck a chord with him. You know, he's come to protect his child, and right. they're going nuts on the gargoyle eggs and things. Team Mercer. Team Mercer all the way. If only he had wings. <laughs> if only. He could fly with the angels. <sighs> and unfortunately, the boozy lady does get killed. Spoiler. Uh, <gasps> uh, uh, she's so great, though. Even in death, she seems to be completely sauced. So it's awesome. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's great. That's true. That's true. So I guess we're all in agreement that we love this movie. Yeah, I I I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. Yeah, I like it very much. Yes, yeah. I, I quite agree. I'm and, glad to hear that. So okay. Oh, oh, oh yeah. just just one thing. We were talking about the X Files earlier. There is a moment early on in the movie, which actually isn't quite the same as this X Files reference, where he's driving down a highway, uh, like a road in the middle of the desert, and suddenly he gets like a T junction, and he can't go straight anymore. And he has to kind of turn around and they have to go back. 
And right at that moment, possibly because the X-Files have come back, all I thought of was the part in the first X-Files movie where Mulder and Scully arrive at a T-junction in the middle of nowhere. And instead of turning around or going left or right, Mulder goes straight into the off the road, into the desert. That's where they find the bees. But I thought of that right there. I thought, what would have happened if Mercer had gone straight? Actually, I think he would have run into a big hill. But um, I thought, I thought that yeah, not quite as cool. But... Not quite as cool, but I, I thought that right there. I thought, oh, that's... Uh... Well, it's funny because I was actually thinking when you watch this next X-Files, I think you're going to feel like there's a little gargoyle going on in there. So oh, nice. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, something you just said, which kind of brings us back to the you know topic about how you watch a movie as well. Because uh, you said you wonder what would happen if Mercer, you know, like, um, you know, had gone straight. But um, I, I will say that one thing I do a lot is I, I watch a movie and I always wonder what if, you know, well, yeah. what if this didn't happen? Like, I wonder, you know, what would happen here? And it's just when you said that, it totally reminded me of the times that I do that. I do that all the time. And, you know, it's funny because Amanda and I, I mean, I, we've always talked about it, but, you know, you know what I mean, Amanda, and the, the dormant drip blood, you, you feel oh, so bad yeah. for the grandmother in that film. And That's right. Yes. In the yes. Movie. yes. But you feel awful for it. I'm like, I'm totally bad about that. Like, I, I <laughs> see things that I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's just awful for their family. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so just to frame that in case you haven't seen the Dorm the Drip Blood, Daphne Zaninga is in that movie and her parents kind of pick her up to go visit their her grandmother who's in the hospital. And then they all get killed. The parents and Daphne Zaninga. You know, when you're watching it, it's a slasher. It's a very low budget slasher movie. Right. And it's just meant to like be the murder scenes or whatever. But Nate and I were both like, you know, <laughs> that grandmother's sick and they're going to have to tell her <laughs> that her whole family is dead. <laughs> And what is that going to do to her? You know? And then all of a sudden there's this great concern for this character that probably was meant to be nothing. She's just there for a catalyst to get the parents at the dormitory. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But for Nate and I. Yeah. There's, there's yeah, I'd never really thought of that until I heard you guys mention that. And I thought, Oh, poor grandma. And then the moment you start to do that, you start to see that in other films where it's like, Oh gosh, you know, even like in the movie, there's a movie blood Lake where the entirety of the killings, <laughs> there the, all the killings revolve around the fact that the, the house that all the kids are having a party in, the, the dad never paid for the house. And the man who used to, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense, having no. purchased a house, you can't move into a house unless you paid for it. Um, but uh, the, this guy is the owner of the house who's come to kill all the kids who are in some way or another related to the dad who took the house from him. You know, it's like, all you think is, if the dad had just gone through escrow properly, if he had filled out all the forms, none of this movie would ever be happening. And to some people, that's a good thing. Not to me. <laughs> not to yeah, me. Yeah, not to me. I like Bud Light. <laughs> but I was, I watched uh, Black Christmas, um, mm. you know, uh, in December, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but I mean, I'm sure you both have seen it and know exactly how it ends, of course. right? Exactly, yeah. Yes. Well, there's like, there's some people, that, you know, that are just, you know, characters that are just mentioned, sort of like that grandma. And I keep thinking, what is going to happen when they show up? Like, that's going to be awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. care. Anyway. I know uh, we, we 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 really care about these just, characters that probably we, meant nothing to the screenwriter. Right. We do. We do. And yet, in another world somewhere, there's like there's a there's like a short film that runs after Dorm the Drip Blood 
that follows up with grandma, you know, or something like that, you know. I just couldn't gives, watch it's too heartbreaking. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to leave. <laughs> it would be too much, yeah. It's too much for me. I can't take uh, it. So this is how we watch movies and that's yes. how we watch Cargo is we wonder what would happen yeah. if you drove straight. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> there you go. And I mean it's <laughs> it's 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 such a fun movie. It's 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 a it's a joy to look at. The locations are fantastic. Those gargoyle suits are so killer. Yeah. It's Gen- an old school monster movie. Yeah, and that woman. Yeah, I'm actually I have it playing right now, and the uh, the uh, uh, the lady is in the pickup truck with this guy, and they're going to leave town. The the uh, motel owner, and right. she has a glass of booze with she her. She does. As they're driving away, I have some trivia. I actually have some trivia about that. Oh yes, please. So I'll just give you some background on Gargoyles. So it was shot around Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, and it aired as part of the CBS Tuesday Night at the Movies. I always think it's interesting that it's not an ABC movie of the week because it feels just like the type of movies that they were making back then. And it also occurred to me that it's, I think, the same year and the same network uh, that did Crawl Space. Mm. I think it also came out in 1972 and was also a CBS uh, movie of the week. So I think they had some interesting product that – I have not been that aware of, so I'm going to research them a little better. So it aired on November 21st, like Dan said, 1972. It aired in the 9 p.m. to 10.30 slot. It ran against NBC's uh, airing of The West Side Story, which played all night because it's obviously a very long movie. And then on ABC, they had a Brian Song rerun, which ran from 8.30 to 10. And then they ran an episode of Marcus Welby. I don't. I tried to find the ratings. Ratings are really hard to find from the early 70s, so I don't know which one did better. I have a feeling Brian Song probably did really well, though, because it was, it was a second run and it was really popular. Um, the open narration is by Vic Perrin who also dubbed uh, Bernie's voice in the movie. So Bernie Casey, you only see. You don't actually ever hear the actor's voice. Uh, Vic Perrin is probably best known for doing a lot of cartoon voices. I know him best for doing the voice of Dr. Zen on Johnny Quest. He was one of my favorite characters. Uh, Bill Norton was the director. He was a replacement. Uh, I'm not sure who the original director was, but he, he replaced him because the original director left because he thought the film couldn't be made in 18 days. So there we have now we know it was made in 18 days. It was shot in over 100 degrees weather most of the time. And the hotel was actually out of business and it was burnt down for the film. The ruins have since been recorded as a historical archaeological site with the New Mexico Department of Historic Preservation. Now, I tried to back into that, and I've only seen some people talking about it on a couple of historic sites, but I couldn't find the location for it. But apparently there's like nothing really left of it. It's just marked as historic, but there's I don't think there's anything at the hotel you could look at. So the director, as I mentioned, Bill L. Norton, it was a very prolific uh, director. He did a wide variety of films, including a TV movie called Our Mother's Murder, which was a USA original. And the only reason why I mention that is because I can't believe that the guy who directed Gargoyles directed this really heart-wrenching drama, true crime story about a woman who was murdered by her husband. And the story is told through the daughter's point of view. And it's this really beautiful, amazing movie. It's one of my. It's probably my favorite USA original. That he that he had such a wide variety of films that those are always the two that I think of and I can't understand how talented is this guy that he could do these two films so well. Um, but what's even more interesting about Bill Norton um, is if you look into his life story, his father, who was also a screenwriter, wrote Gator, White Lightning, and Big Bad Mama. Wow. He was also known for smuggling guns to the IRA and the INLA in Northern Ireland for which he was arrested and convicted of and spent time in prison. Later in life, he moved to Nicaragua and ended up killing a burglar who broke into his house. 
He was also a communist, but grew dis disillusioned with it and had himself smuggled back into the USA, where he lived the last years of his life in fear that he would be caught by the government, although he had not committed a crime. And he ended up dying in the States. I think he died in Santa Barbara. So wow. that was this guy's dad, just so you know. Gargoyles was Norton's second film. Uh, his film after this was More American Graffiti, which I don't know if anybody here has seen that. But wow. you might understand why he did not direct a movie for another six years after this. <laughs> I don't hate more American Graffiti, but compared to American Graffiti, it's it's really a lesser film. Yeah, it seems um, a little pointless, kind of. I yeah, I uh, well, it upset me. But anyway, Grayson Hall was uh, who played uh, the hotel owner was probably most famous for being in Dark Shadows, and according to IMDb trivia, it was her idea to be seen in every scene with that glass in her hand. <laughs> So she brought that to the set herself. She thought it would be really cool, and I agree. Now, I, I, they also said the whole film was shot with a single camera. I don't know how that works, but that's what they claimed. The film may be most famous, though, for having Stan, Stan Winston do the gargoyle makeup, and this was Winston's first makeup department credit on IMDb, and, of course, he would go on to win Oscars for movies like Aliens. He also won an Emmy for Gargoyles, which he shares with Del Armstrong and Ellis Berman Jr., who also did the special effects. Wow. And, of course, this features an early appearance by Scott Glenn and Bernie Casey. Jennifer Salt had already been in a few films, uh, including Midnight Cowboy, and she's currently listed as a writer on American Horror Story, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know. Nate, you love American Horror Story, right? Oh, yes, I do. Did you know she was one of the writers? Actually, I didn't. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting piece of trivia. And I kind of wonder what had happened to her, but I guess she works behind the scenes now. What's, what's even more interesting about her is that her parents were screenwriter Waldo Salt, who was actually oh, wow. uh, the writer of Midnight Cowboy, which she did a nude scene in. So wow. her dad wrote the screenplay that she would do a nude scene in. And her mother was an actress named Mary Davenport. Uh, Waldo was actually blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in the mid-70s, Jennifer Salt owned a small cuisine business called Eat Your Heart Out. And she specialized in Moroccan dishes and catering. Wow. And that's my trivia for you. Wow. She yeah she she uh, she's in her her scenes in Brewster McCloud she's a little naughty rowdy but she's not uh, she doesn't do a nude scene in it yeah well I found an old interview with her and she was talking about and I, I I'll be honest I actually haven't seen Midnight Cowboy and I hate to admit that because I know it's a classic I have seen, seen the end it of either, it so so I've seen the end it. of it so that's probably why I haven't seen it, it looks really upsetting but mm -hmm. anyway so she was talking about doing a nude scene in her dad's film. And she said that it never occurred to her that that would be a weird or bad thing. And I was like, what? And I told my husband this, and he was like, wow, the 70s were a weird time. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, they kind of were, because I would be really uncomfortable being naked in a movie that my dad wrote. and was might I don't know if he was on the set. Maybe that made it easier. Mm, he probably I wasn't. I, I would yeah, she didn't, she didn't indicate. But anyway, so I didn't actually look up too much on Cornell Wilde, and I probably should have. Somebody said he was blacklisted, too, but I couldn't back into that anywhere, so I don't know that he really was. Yeah, I don't know much about him either. I, I do know more about Jennifer Salt, I think. Yeah, well, he played um, – I know he was like a matinee idol, and he played himself in an episode of I Love Lucy. And it was like a, a really big deal because, like, the, you know how she'd always run into celebrities? Uh-huh. And it, it was like, like, Cornell Wilde's in the same hotel or whatever, and then he's there. And it, it always – Throws me off because Cornell Wilde had black hair. It was so black before it went gray. And I can't, like, when I see him in the old movies, it's hard for me to, like, recognize him as Mercer Bully in Gargoyles because he looks so different to me. But he was really, I mean, he was dashing as an older man, too. I have to say he's pretty attractive. But he was really dashing when he was young. Very handsome. 
Yeah, he was uh, he was in the greatest show on earth. Oh, the TV series. I don't know the TV series. I'm sorry. I'm looking at some of his credits here because I I know his name, but I um. I've just yeah, never... you've probably seen him in stuff. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen him in stuff. He's in a, a segment of Night Gallery called "Deliveries in the Rear." Huh? Yikes! Yikes! You first Uncle Willie, and now <laughs> "Deliveries in the Rear." In the I'm rear having box. a real hard time with his uh, career. <laughs> I think that it's a little confusing. Huh? Huh? He's one of those. He's one of those names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where it's oh, the Naked Prey. He was in the Naked Prey. Yeah, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was one of his most famous films. Yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, he's one of those names where you see it and you go, oh, of course, Cornell Wilde. And then you actually think and you go, um, uh, Gargoyles, Deliveries in the Rear. Um, <laughs> what else? Yeah, sure. He was in a Murder She Wrote. Also, because Nate brought up the composer, his name is Robert Prince, and he actually also did the score for Squirm. Oh wow! And Snowy, so he did a lot of monster movies, oh, nice. and he he did JD's Revenge as well. So oh, I like JD's Revenge. Really good, yeah, yeah, I do too. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. So um, he did a lot of interesting stuff. So there's a lot of good people working on this film. I think yeah. getting Stan Winston though was probably a feather in their cap. There are shots in it, yeah, where it's clearly folks in like you know rubbery suits. But um, but that's going to happen since it was shot so quickly. Oh, but sure. there there are other moments like with the the wings are so fantastic on the gargoyles oh. and yeah, and there's a, there's a nice variety of gargoyle. There's like a littler sort of like female yeah. gargoyle who has like a, like a big like a big beak and is is really a cutie pie. It's very distinct. Like yeah, they're very distinct. You know, it's interesting what you say. So I saw gargoyles a few months ago in the theater. Uh, somebody got a print of it and they showed it at the Alamo, and. I will say that when he takes flight at the end, uh-huh. there was like a real sense of wonder in the audience. There was like a <gasps> yeah. reaction, and it was really amazing. You know, even now, 40 years later, we can watch that and still be impressed by some of the effects. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I gotta, I give I give Gargoyles a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Good monster yeah, I think. I think we all loved it, and I yes. think... I think it's – I'm really sad that Nate hasn't watched Mud Monster, but he's going to do – we're going to give Nate a segment because he can only come in for, you know, usually one film because of his hours. And um, he's going to hopefully get a chance to watch Mud Monster or World Beyond. I keep calling it the Mud Monster, but it's, it's appropriate title is the World Beyond. And give us like a little recap on it. Yes, I'm actually very excited uh, uh, to watch this because I've never seen it before. So I think you're going to like I cannot it. cannot wait. And I'll tell you here, I, I goofed when I picked it because I meant to pick only TV movies, and it's actually just an episode uh-huh. pilot, so it's it's less than an hour. I was so, thought, I was hoping you'd forget that it was a um, not a TV movie because I really yeah. like it. So oh yeah 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 I just when I was watching it, I was like wait a minute this isn't seventy four minutes but so when you end up watching it, it's not like you're gonna have to sit down for it's like fifty more than minutes an hour. yeah yeah it tops. <laughs> so it'll, it's really easy to watch but um, um oh, go can't ahead. Wait. Yay. I was gonna say I can't wait. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I know you have to go. So I guess we'll do our promotions here. So you have a new Hysteria Continues episode out, right? Yes. We just covered a movie, um, Psycho. I was about to say I can't remember the last episode. <laughs> I was. I could have told you. I listened to it yeah. the other day. <laughs> oh, good. I haven't listened to it yet. And what's your next film gonna be? Um, the next one is gonna be. Um, well, it's weird because. We're recording, um, or, or actually they're recording one this weekend, but I'm not going to be part oh. of it because I'm not going to be around. And then the weekend after that, we're going to record Maniac, the <gasps> 1980s Maniac. Oh. Amanda just got very excited. I love that movie. <laughs> and the 1980s Maniac episode is going to air before the one they're recording this weekend. <laughs> 
So those guys are crazy. It's because they're from all different countries. They don't even know what they're doing. They're probably using the metric system when they tape it. <laughs> it's pounds and shillings. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, they don't know. They don't know. So, but you're on iTunes, and it's called This Terry Continues, and um, everybody should check it out. And hopefully, you'll be with us for the next episode. And I will email you those titles probably tomorrow. Oh yes, I'm looking forward to that as well. It's good times. Thank oh, you so much. Yeah, um, I always have a lot of fun on this show. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you come on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was good good to chat with you, Nate. And I can't wait to hear what you think about the Mud Monster. Oh, yeah, man. I need to watch that X-Files episode. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll get you a list of X-Files home. episodes. Home. Yeah, home. home. Start with home. All Season right. four. I yeah. sure will. All right. Cool. Bye, Nate. Talk Bye. To okay, now it's just you and me, Dan. What are we going to do? Mud Monster. I think I think it, shall we dive into the Mud Monster? Yeah, I actually have the opening here for you so we can get a little background on the main character. Let's do it. My name is Paul Taylor. I write about sports. My distinction a motorcycle accident that gave me an intimate knowledge of death. My death. I was dead. Clinically, completely dead. And yet I knew what was happening every moment. for two minutes and 37 seconds and now I was coming back but there would always be a difference for one connection with death was never broken a connection through which the dead can reach my mind forcing me to look for a person I've never met compelling me to protect that person from the world beyond scary very scary as Count Floyd might say it's very scary (laughs) All right, so we got uh, we got Paul Taylor. He's a sports writer, but he also can contact. Oh well, the dead contact him. Yeah. Uh, basically, the episode begins. Uh, the uh, The actor's name is Granville Van Dusen. Correct. Or as we call him around here, the Van Dusen. Correct. <laughs> and uh, Paul is basically visited by a man with a nice mustache, who tells him <laughs> to to protect Marion Faber. And he goes to Maine, and he basically is going out to I, I believe I wrote down the name of the island. Maybe I didn't, but he there, there's an island where a gentleman named um, Frank Faber lives. Frank's the gentleman with the mustache who he knows has died, and so um, Paul uh, enlists the help of a guy named Andy Borchard, played by Bernard Hughes. The great Bernard Hughes. Yes, and they're going to go out to this island and see what's up. There are only two houses on this island. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's in a beautiful, it's like Dog Island and Humongous, but yes. a little more pleasant. Or uh, that, the, the island and have a nice weekend. But as, as Paul is about to get on the boat with uh, Andy and his dog, Lola, Joe Beth Williams shows up. And she says, hey, where's Craig T. Nelson? We got a film to shoot about a poltergeist. No, she doesn't do that. She she is um, the dead guy, although we don't – no one knows he's dead but Paul. The dead guy's sister, Marion, Marion Faber. And they're all going to go over the island together. And they have a scene 
I believe you have a sound clip for it where they're they're heading on over and Marion asks him about like a, whether he received a letter from uh, yeah. Frank. You said something about a letter. Yes. Frank said he had a surprise. He said he wanted me to come and see it. What kind of surprise? He didn't say. Paul, what difference does any of this make? Maybe none, maybe a great deal. What kind of person was your brother? Is. Not was. Is. All right. What kind of person? Crazy. Crazy, that's what he is. You are Sam Barker. All that hocus pocus mumbo jumbo. What do you mean? Ask Sam. You just ask him. These people don't understand someone like Frank. He's always been interested in all kinds of things. Religion, anthropology, archaeology. Parapsychology, occult sciences. He quit law school and went to India for two years. That's the kind of man he is. Talk about avoiding the subject. Yeah. yeah the, uh, <laughs> they, they arrive on the island. Uh, the dog Lola is very upset by something on the island. There are traces of mud here and there, and Frank's nowhere to be found. The The music in the movie is sort of almost standard sort of... This was uh, uh, January of 78. It's almost standard sort of... Um, Do-do-do! You know, sort of strings, uh, horns, that kind of thing. But the sound effects oh, in the amazing. movie are crazy scary. Pretty straightforward. The, the movie isn't all too complicated. Basically, they get attacked by a giant monster made of mud. And if you know your supernatural stuff, you know what that monster is. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the golem. It is. And and Frank has been studying the Kabbalah, and he, <laughs> he has brought the... That's one of the many things he, he's studying. And he has created creature out of mud. And sticks and such. It is on the island and it is killing everyone. Yeah, on the, the, island. the the Van Dusen gives a little breakdown of what the golem. Oh yes, is. please. All right, Mister. What's this golem you've been talking about? It's a body without a soul. Made out of mud. Pretty much mud and sticks, formed in the shape of a man and brought to life through the incantations of special magical formulas. You're not serious, are you? In Hebrew folklore, in the Middle Ages, mystics, uh, rabbis who used the Kabbalah, which your brother had here on the desk, were thought to be able to create these creatures. And you believe that? Now, this book had a page mark. Listen to this. In 1483 in Helm, that's in Poland, Rabbi Solomon Elijah created a golem, which later crumbled into dust. Uh -oh. And here... Rabbi Judah Lowe of Prague in the year 1547 created a golem from mud and sticks. And there are other examples. Paul, you're talking about fairy tales. What happened to your brother and to Sam Barker and to his dog was not a fairy tale. The mud everywhere, the excavation outside, and this collection of books is not a fairy tale. I know, but... Marion, something is out there. And your brother put it together and gave it life. Ooh. That's awesome. Van, Van Dusen, I, I do like him quite a bit. I, I do too. He's a, he's a really good actor. Yeah, he's and, and the uh, Sam Barker they mention, um, well, unfortunately, the, the dog Lola is attacked and killed by the Aww. golem, uh, which is too bad. Uh, and Sam Barker... <laughs> too bad. It, it's, too, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's never nice. Um, Sam Barker is the other person who lives on the island, and they find him as he's dying talking about 
um, uh, Frank uh, had made a monster out of mud. Yeah, the rest of the episode, because it is it is a pilot episode for a potential show, um, is is basically the three of them trying to think of a way to first get off the island and then fight the golem, uh, which is pretty giant and muddy and monstery mm-hmm. and yeah, and you know it's there are great scenes like where they. Um, uh, you know, a golem, it, it gets its hand cut off, but the hand comes to life. Oh, so yeah, there's some great, there's some great hands. And that that's a great sequence too, because uh, the two of them, uh, uh, Paul and Marion are having a very lovely talk. I'm um, just kind of getting to know one another as the golem is creeping around as you do. Yeah. And, sure. and they, they just do that, that great thing um, where Paul approaches the front door and says, okay, well, I'm going to go on out. I'll be right back. And as he's talking, he opens the door and the monster's standing right there. So yeah. it, like, it does that sort of great, like, Hitchcocky sort of suspenseful thing where it's like, it's, it's one beat off. So it's like you're expecting him to open the door and then have something grab him, or maybe not. But he opens the door and it's already right there. And it comes after him. So it's very, it's a very nicely done, um, creepy with a with a nice bit of sort of character development between Paul and Marion, and um, you really get to like Paul by the end of it. It's it's yes. too it's too bad that there there wasn't more. I would have loved to have seen this show. It, well, it was kind of I don't necessarily know that I think the concept how well it could have worked, and mm. that's probably because I haven't seen World of Darkness. So there were two yes. pilot movies. Uh, created by Art Wallace, and the first one aired the year before, and it was called World of Darkness. It obviously didn't do very well, so they tried it again. And I kind of feel like, as much as I would like to see the Van Dusen on a weekly TV <laughs> series, I I think as a standalone, I don't know that they could have done this every week. It's kind of like, this is kind of random, but they made a TV movie with Sammy Davis Jr. and Jack Klugman and Christopher Lee called Poor Devil. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't. It's fantastic, but... It was a pilot movie where Sammy Davis Jr. played a minion of Satan, who by who was Christopher Lee, who had who was really bad at collecting souls. So he had one chance left to do it, and he picks Jack Klugman, and then there's all this hilarity ensues, right? Yeah. And so the thing is, is that they were going to make a whole series about a guy who takes your soul, yeah. right? And I was like, I don't know that that could have been a weekly series. As a standalone movie, I think it works really well. As a series, I think it would have been really difficult. And I feel like it's not like they haven't done it. And I think that this was a riff on The Sixth Sense with Gary Collins. Yeah. But uh, there's something about the level of suspense in this. I just don't know that they could have sustained it every week. Do you know what I mean? I Yeah. I, I think I – because I, <laughs> when I was watching it, I actually – and feel free to send me a, a virtual punch in the gut. But I actually prefer this to Gargoyles just a bit. That's fine. Um, because part of it is knowing that there could have been more of it. Sure. And so – and clearly it's setting itself up for more. And, and plus it's also – well, actually, just speaking personally, I prefer the woods and the water to the desert. Okay. Um, I find the woods and water scarier than the desert, whereas I find the desert kind of depresses me. Um, but I love I love the location where they shot this movie, this sure. beautiful wooded island with all the water around it. I realized as I was watching this the other day that I kept checking how much time was left because I, I, I wanted to spend more time with these characters and watching this. So it's like I kept checking, going, oh, 15 minutes. 
Oh, 10 minutes. Oh, five minutes. Okay, I, would, I know. It's going to be would, over. I would pause it and I would go, okay, I'll just, I'll just let it sit for a few minutes and that kind I, of thing. But there, there's something I really like about this. I have a question for you, Dan. Yes. When you watched this, did you at all think that if they had cut it down to half an hour, it could have been a segment in Screams of a Winter's Night? <laughs> yes. Yes, it could have been. I, Definitely. I, I think that every time I watch this, and I think it's the sounds – Mm-hmm. They get oh, to yes. Because you know the, the interstitials between the stories of Screams of Winter's Night is really windy. The wind demon, yes. Yeah, and and I feel like it fits so well with the sounds that it could have been a segment in that film. Yeah, I think they could have they could have easily um uh yeah cut out some of the opening and cut out the the sort of more character development scenes and just boiled it down to a a half hour. Yeah, and put in that movie. Yeah, because there's something. I mean, that's the, the thing about the movie is. I mean, it's not a big. I mean, it's basically just three people in the cast and a giant, you know, guy in a mud suit. Right. Um. Uh. But it's the 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 sounds out in the woods and and moments where the sort of the sound melds into the music and you can't. Yes. And there are brief moments where it's like, am I hearing music or am I hearing sound effects it's- or is this? It's sensory overload for sure. There, there. One, one of the moments I really love is when they arrive at the the in the boathouse in the where at at uh, at uh, Frank's place. Frank's place with um, who, who's <laughs> Tim the Reed. Yes, Tim with Tim Reed. <laughs> there, with uh, um, they and they step out onto the dock, and they're like, it's one of those boathouses where there it's like a two car garage for boats, and there's a uh, you know they pull into uh, the one on the right. And, you know, there's a dock in between the two entryways. And there's just this wonderful moment where there's nothing in the other space until they look a little closer. And sitting on the bed of the, the, the water is Frank's boat, completely submerged. Right. And there's something about that where it's like, whew, what's, uh, what, how, what did that? That, what that, did that, that? Yeah. That well, there's a lot of buildups. And, yeah. and I don't feel like they expose the monster too much. No. So there's a lot of nice, and also I I made a clip of the growl. Oh yes. Because I feel like this is just at the end of the film. Uh, I tried to find a really good because it screams through the whole thing. It's so painful, not in a bad way, not in an annoying way, but it's it's like it's painful to listen to it. It's crying, you know what I mean? And it just it it goes on and on. <laughs> That baby crying sound they put in there, yeah, in the middle is so upsetting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's it's. I'm I'm lost for for words there for a second because it is the the movie uses uh, atmosphere, it uses sound, it uses the location, uh, camera angles, shots, and jump scares, and it and it also develops the characters. One of the reasons why I like it and would have loved to have seen what the show may have done. Is just it. It does one of those things where, like, it it takes a, like a supernatural creature that 
most people know, maybe you don't know the Golem, but um, I think many people do, and it does its own version of it. Right. Just in the same way that, you know, Kolchak did its own version with the Vampire. You know, the same way that the X-Files did its own version with the assorted monsters that they met. You know, like in the first season of the X-Files, you know, there's a, you know, exsanguinated bodies and werewolves and things like that, right. you know. Or even a show I love that no one really watched called Shadow Chasers would do it. You know, oh, it had its yeah. mummy episode. It had its vampire episode. And I think today the show Supernatural. Yes. At least it did that. I, I've only seen like the first half a dozen episodes, but it would like – it takes – you know, your your monsters that everyone knows and it puts its own stamp on it. Yes. And that's I think this does a really good job of putting the stamp on a semi obscure monster. And you almost wonder what what would they have done as they move through the, the, the Pantheon, as it were. How well, would they have done it? I think it's interesting that everybody remembers the world beyond, but nobody remembers World of Darkness. Yeah, I've never. And it's much more obscure, and I'm not sure why one survived in the modern world, and the other one seems to have disappeared completely. It's more of a ghostly one, isn't it? I think I've it read. is. I think it is. I have a, uh, the breakdown from Wikipedia, mm -hmm. which is, uh, and I'll play. I actually found a promo for it online too. So I'll, let me play that first. Okay. So I can get kind of a feel for it. It's basically the same idea of the main character of the Van Dusen character but with a different kind of story following it. Paul Taylor, dead for two minutes. Now the dead compel him to return to protect the living from the unexpected, the strange, the terrifying. For the first time on television, the world of the dead, the world of darkness. Sunday at 10, 9 Central. So according to Wikipedia, it says dead for two minutes and 37 seconds following a motorcycle accident. Paul Taylor hears ghostly voices that draw him to the New England town of Woodville. Um, oh, Woodville. Taylor becomes involved in a supernatural activity surrounding the Sanford family, whose recently buried patriarch was uh, from an apparent suicide. That is that when Fred Sanford died? And that, Grady oh, and Lamont Fred Sanford and... lives forever. <laughs> Yeah, Lamont, and Lamont it turned out like, it was Ann Esther. Where's my empire? Where's my empire? <laughs> Where's my junk? You big and they, dummy? <laughs> you, you big dummy. It's a ghost in the first episode. I, I, and I do find it interesting, too, that they, they bring out the exact same premise, but they rename it for yeah. the, the second one. I'm, I, I wonder why the – that doesn't – is that something a network normally does? I'm trying I, to think of another know. example. I don't know. I couldn't find – I mean there's lots of pilots that they redo and then they mm -hmm. try them again. You mm -hmm. know, like Three's Company, right? They have that famous first episode. Oh, yeah. But, like, yeah. And it's different. But it's like I, I'm not – I couldn't find very much information about why one – why they're a year apart and what they tried to do to retool it and why they had to retool it and whatever. I don't know. I couldn't find anything on it. It's kind of a mystery. I saw just like the Mud Monster. Yeah, exactly. I, I saw, I think I saw an, an ad for it, like from TV Guide or something like online that said, yeah. uh, like it's an, an unsold pilot or something like that. It was, it's kind of very specific. And it was like, huh, that's a strange. Oh, maybe that was a later. Oh, it could have been a later showing. Like a it. rerun yeah, or something. Possibly, I mean, yeah. it has quite a cult following. Yeah, it's, it's, and it has a Wikipedia page. Yes. You, you know, like for a, for a show that was one. Failed pilot, and then a year later, another failed pilot. Yeah, it's it's got a, and I'll tell you something. I actually tried to find Granville Van Dusen online, mm -hmm. but I didn't have much luck. 
Um, I was just hoping he had like cause a lot of celebrities have websites and you can kind of drop them a line and hope that they uh-huh. respond or Facebook or something. And uh, he doesn't have much of a presence online. I mean, he's lots of photos and I think he's done interviews and things, but I couldn't really find anything. And I thought, God, I would love to talk to him about this. And actually, we'll go into it in the trivia, but I have a little history of Granville Van Dusen's pilots. Oh, wow. together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I somewhere around here in this the room I'm sitting in recording this, I th- I mentioned this before, but there is a a play he did in Connecticut like 2 years yes. ago. There is a yeah, there's like a playbill for it or or a um a mailer for it with him as one of the like a little picture on the bottom of him as one of the cast members. And my wife handed it to me and said, "Hey, isn't that guy in that mud monster <laughs> thing you watch?" And I said, "It is." You know what? I feel like Granville Van Dusen has come up in every episode we've recorded. Possibly. Because we already call him the Van Dusen. We do. And we have a whole history of... I know I talked about him on the Halloween episode because he was in Hotline. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about him last week. And I remember talking about him because I used to... I was talking about how much he reminds me of Frank Converse. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. And that might have been the Halloween episode, but I feel like he's come up at least in half of our episodes. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. He's officially our mascot. Yay! Yay! Granville. You don't meet a lot of people named Granville or Joe Beth. No. So so that's kind of that's kind of nice. It's really cool to see her in this too because yeah. um I really like Joe Beth Williams and I don't so, know that I've seen a lot of her earlier work before Poltergeist. So it was really fun to see her show up in this like totally crazy horror movie. She's really good in it. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, think. and so is Bernard Hughes. I mean, he did Lost Boys later, but mm-hmm. like this is a very straight-faced horror film. There's nothing tongue in cheek about any of it. And they all approach it very genuinely, mm-hmm. you know, which I really appreciated. Yeah, with the uh, muddy hand creeping around the the house. Yeah, I mean that's hard to like. Oh, that's so scary. Yeah, it's you know it's all I mean? it's it's always tricky with hands, you know, because you always end up it always ends up becoming like either a little goofy or it becomes some like Evil Dead Two, where it becomes a slapstick right. routine. Or um, I'm trying to think of other. There's I'm a, the hand in it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The uh, there's a there's a there's a Doctor Who episode called Rose with a mannequin hand that comes to life. But that ha- that does have a moment where it's strangling one person, and 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 the doctor pulls the arm or the hand off of the person who's being strangled, throws it away, and you see it flying through the air, stop in midair, spin around, and dive at the doctor's neck. So that's a variation on it. But right. most of the time, hands attacking people. I mean, the physics of it, I think, is what possibly might, you know. It's, it's a hand, especially this one made of mud. And I do like, I'm just going to say real quick, don't you hate it when I say real quick? I notice I do that all the time. <laughs> Why do I do that? It's fine. I want, I want to call it a quirk, but I'm, uh, when when um, Paul goes into the basement, there's a scene where he goes in the basement right. and he gets attacked by the hand. Um, that's when they discover the weakness of the golem. But as he's talking to the uh, Marion, he has a um, almost like a mud beard. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. kind of funny to look at. It. It's like all from yeah, from ear to ear underneath his chin. It's all mud because the monster grabbed him on the neck. So it's like he's standing there with a the mud beard, and it's, uh, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, it's a, it's a really oh. So I'll tell you, I I didn't see World Beyond when I was a kid. I didn't see it till I was older. I found a bootleg of it at a convention, and I bought it, and I watched it maybe four or five years ago, and I didn't like it. Cool. I, I fell asleep 
And I was like, oh, maybe I should have seen this when I was a kid. And I kind of just set it aside. And then I thought, you know what? I need to revisit this. And I think this will be a fun double feature with Gargoyles, forgetting it wasn't an actual TV movie. Uh And then I watched it again. And I was like, this is really freaky. What was I thinking five years ago when I sat down to watch it? And I didn't think it was very good because this is like, it's really scary. And I love it. Like It's like Gargoyles in a lot of ways in that it's very simple. Yes. It's there's not a whole lot of subplotting going on and it goes right into the heart of the story and it just keeps going and it does a lot with a little and both films do that very well in their own universes. I really like the atmosphere and that that scream oh. that haunts the whole film. It just it sticks with you. It reminds me a little bit, but I would need to revisit it to make sure I'm do, comparing them correctly. Uh, there's a TV series called Dark Room, which was a six-episode anthology show hosted by James Coburn. I have all the episodes. Oh, yeah, Dark Room, yeah. It was so good. But there's one episode that's really famous called Catnip, and it's got this cat crying through the whole thing. And it borders on getting annoying, but it's also like it's so painful to listen to. Uh-huh. And not in that annoying way. I don't know another word to use, but it, you agonize over it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and this film does that. Although I think this film does it much better uh, because it sounds like the monster's in pain. So even yeah. though it doesn't get the same kind of sympathy that a gargoyle would because you don't really get the backstory to it in that it has a family and it's trying to survive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the gargoyle seems more human than a monster. Mud monster seems like a monster, but it also seems like he's in a lot of pain. Yeah, And when he was created, he was created and then just had to live in this horrifying situation. And it was crying constantly. And I mean, that's the impression I get when I watch it. It really like just having in the background through the whole film, like they're terrified of it. But at the same time, there's kind of a heartbreaking tone to it, you know? Yes. I, th- I think, I wonder if almost, what if it, it was like a... You know, there are there country golems and city golems. Maybe it was. Uh, maybe it's <laughs> oh, just the in the city wrong golem environment. Was a badass. <laughs> it's I'd like, like maybe the city golem. Just in the wrong environment, you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel you know. I I feel bad for all monsters. I think though, it's not unusual for people to relate to the monster because even mm. the most beautiful, popular people in the world feel sort of outsiderish sometimes, and I think it's our natural inclination to gravitate towards marginalized characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why monster movies are so popular, you know. Yeah, I would I would agree. Yeah, that's there's... that's my deep text reading of it. <laughs> well, there is there is something about the fact, yeah, that it is it is a sort of I, I want to say almost soulless monster made of mud, you know, revived. It would have been brought to life with supernatural incantations. The yeah. fact that it, it is able to touch, you know, us in some way right. um, through its 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 uh, perceived. Uh, uh, just uh, sadness and and agony. Well, it's interesting because you say soulless and it's like the devils and gargoyles. I never associate it as a soulless creature. I I think of it as, as almost like a child that's only been there for a few days and he's like figuring out what's going on and he's scared. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't call the gargoyles soulless because they, no. they, they're if they're, um, but, but the, yeah, I, I, I like that thought that the golem, if they had just given him a week or two, he may have grown up and he'd <laughs> well, be. Well, it makes me think of Pumpkinhead. So you know, not Pumpkinhead, the first Pumpkinhead, but the second Pumpkinhead. Like you know, at the, I don't know if you've seen Pumpkinhead too. It's brilliant. I, I have not, unfortunately. Oh, it's so good. One. But there's this part where at the end where they're like, run, 
Tommy. They find out that Pumpkinhead's got the soul of this kid, right? And they're like, run, Tommy, run. And you're like, where is Pumpkinhead going to go? Because it's not like he can just merge into another population. And he's going to stand out wherever he goes. But they're like, tell him him to run. And that thought is always in my head, like, where is he going to go? He can't go anywhere, so you have to to destroy him. And every every once in a while, it is nice to have a monster, say, like the the vampire in the Night Stalker, who's just completely unredeemable. Is that? Yeah. 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 Just well, one. I don't have as many feelings for like vampires that way oh. as I do like straight up monsters. Have you seen Cliffhangers uh, with the Curse of Dracula? I have. Uh, I don't remember it well enough. Am I supposed to sympathize with him? I think so. Yeah, because he he uh, his his thing yeah, is that he's always speaking like when when uh, Van Helsing's granddaughter is coming after him, he points out like you know I just I do what I do to survive. You know I I haven't seen the sun in. Uh. 400 years that sounds vaguely familiar what i do remember is he wore some really cool turtlenecks and he looked good he did he looked good he, looked <laughs> he was good. cool looking yeah was, he looked good. you know it's interesting that you say that because i watched the hunger last night at the alamo oh, yeah yeah and um and you know what even though Catherine Deneuve's character is kind of a cold-hearted bitch in a lot of ways uh, she's also really sympathetic and my husband and i were talking about that he didn't find her very sympathetic but she she's alone yeah. And so she has to find these companions, and that's really the only person she hangs out with for like three centuries, mm-hmm. you know, because she can't like deal with real people. They real people come into her life, and she has sort of these friendships because there's this little girl that um, she's a musician, and Catherine Deneuve teaches this little girl whatever to play the violin. But but really, it's just like one other person, and that's it. And and so her life is really lonely, and I kind of felt for her, but she also lies to her new lovers by telling them they're going to have eternal life when actually they, their time expires. Hers doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so she kind of loses some sympathy there, but I, I do have to say I did feel for her. It wouldn't be great if all the vampires did like, a, what is it? Return to Salem's lot where like, they're just harvesting, like, aren't they, it's like cows or something like that. I, don't, I, forget. I never I, saw return to Salem. Is that? I, I want to say, I want to say it's return to Salem's lot, but there's, there's one like vampire movie from the eighties where the, the vampires have given up, going after humans and they just like harvest certain animals that they oh. take the blood from. Um, it's sort of like, I guess if you're going to be immortal, you can either, yeah, there are different ways to go about it, I guess. There is. Uh, my best friend is a vampire does that. Oh, for a second, I thought that there was more, that was a more personal s- sentence. Oh, my no. best, oh, for my best friend is a vampire. And then it was going to go, no, I haven't seen my best friend is oh, a vampire in ages. So good. I, I love it. Is that like I I have a vampire? What's a, I was a vampire motorcycle or what was that one? Oh, I, I don't know that one. No, but it's like it's like a comedy and it's really mm-hmm. for teenagers and it, it's mm-hmm. like so they I think they eat like cow's blood or something. Okay. And when Robert Sean Leonard becomes a vampire, there's like this whole world, but they're really nonviolent, and mm-hmm. then you have to learn to like sort of accept them for what they are. How do you think Paul Taylor would have done against the vampire? He does pretty good against the golem in the end. But... I have a feeling that Paul Taylor could do anything. Probably. Because what's interesting about Paul Taylor's character is that he's sort of thrust into this other world uh-huh. without even realizing what it is. But he, he follows it and he and he's like open to what's happened to him and he's and he's very open to figuring things out. Cause yeah, I, cause the, the it begins he lives in New York City. 
Right. So he's just basically he's hanging out one day doing his sports writing. Uh, right now, I don't know what what are you writing about in seventy two high lie or something like that. Well, he was in the middle of writing a book on skydiving, wasn't he? Sky- oh favorite? yes, that's right. Oh, that's I actually have a note on that. Yeah. Writing a book needs to talk with his publisher about his book on skydiving. He actually he sees this man with a mustache, tell him to go to Maine, you know, and he just hops in the car and he goes to Maine. You know, it's right. just he has this sort of wonderful kind of why not? You know, he's right. I could still write about skydiving while I'm up in Maine fighting the golem. Why not? Yeah, so I feel like I feel like he could probably have handled pretty much any creature they threw at him. He's yeah. he's really co- cool, calm, and collected. And he would have definitely gone against Bigfoot. So, yes. Uh, oh, future. that would have been fun. Um, yeah, you're right. It probably would have been a good series, but I kind of like it as a standalone anomaly. I think yeah, it's magical just how it is, and and I feel like they couldn't have sustained that level of suspense, and maybe the series might have dulled. Yeah, it. like sort of like Night Stalker kind of does, unfortunately. But not really like the X-Files did. The X-Files is one of the few shows like that that was able to yeah. kind of go along. And then people showed up who wrote for it who were able to invigorate it. Right. And, right. and keep it alive. But, um, yeah, I fear that if it became World Beyond became a show, it would have gone probably a season, maybe 22 episodes, and would have possibly worn out its welcome by the end. Possibly not, but... I don't see it going for more than that. Yeah, then that's too bad. But um, it's good stuff. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, do you want me to do some trivia? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it uh, it originally aired on January twenty first, nineteen seventy eight, on CBS again. So this is a CBS evening. They had a lot of good programming. You know, ABC <laughs> gets all the credit for stuff, but I think CBS. I'm going to do some research on CBS seventies movies because I feel like I ran into some stuff when I was trying to find the CBS Tuesday night at the movie opening, which I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And um, there were some good movies airing over there. So it ran against uh, Rockford Files and Quincy on NBC, and on ABC. It premiered, uh, they premiered the Bermuda Depths, which oh. is an amazing yes, movie. Yes, it is. Oh, wow. With, um, what's his name from Inferno? Is it? It's Lee McClowski and yes. Connie Selica. And, um, yes. oh my God, what's his name from Carl Weathers and Burl Ives? Yeah, that's yeah, a great movie. That's a, a Rankin, Rankin yeah. and Bass movie. Yeah, yeah it's wow. a beautiful that's film. Great. I think it's yeah. perfect. And you know what? Looking back, I kind of wondered, I didn't realize it at the time when I put the two films we put together together, but I probably could have done the Bermuda Depths and the Mud Monster as because they aired on oh, the same yeah. night. Yeah. And that would have been really fun. Just a note, the Quincy episode was titled Passing and featured Zora Lampert from Let's Scare Jessica to Death. <laughs> nice. And it's a really good episode. I've seen it several times. Um, the Rock Files episode was titled Dwarf in a Helium Hat and featured Rebe- uh, Rick Springfield and Rebecca Balding from Soap. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that was a pretty good night of TV all around, no matter what you picked. I think yeah. you would have picked something good. This was the second of two pilots with Granville Van Dusen, as we mentioned, the first one being World of Darkness. Um, one of the stars of Darkness, uh, Tova Felcha, appeared in a miniseries about Howard Hughes that also ran around the same time as World of Darkness. So she had two programs running concurrently when those aired. Um, this was shot in a place called Ganaku. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's in Ontario, Canada. Uh-huh. Um and Van Dusen is starting quite a few pilots that did not take off. Now, I, I, didn't get, I don't think I got the complete list, but here's a rundown of Van Dusen's pilot career. It's pretty interesting. So he was in a Bionic Woman episode titled Feedback. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's an episode about a man who can slow down his body to the point of faking death and do other kinds of superhuman tricks. And his character was named Jarwin Jones, which I think must have been a play on Charles Darwin. Uh-huh. Um, it's a really good episode. And I went on the Bionic Woman uh, Wikia page. So there's a whole 
wiki dedicated to Bionic Woman. I thought this was really interesting. Wagner has cited this as her favorite Bionic Woman story. As she recalls in the Bionic book, after the series was canceled, she was contacted by the family of a young woman who had been raped and badly mutilated, but who credited her survival to following some of the biofeedback mantras and philosophies in this episode. Wow. Pretty interesting, right? That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm still on Six Million Dollar Man. I haven't made the crossover yet. Okay, well, uh, well, or... check out the biofeedback episode. It's not my favorite, but now that I've read this little piece of trivia, I think it's really interesting, and I kind of want to go back and watch the mantras that he does and stuff. It's fun. It's fun. He also was in. Um, he didn't star in it, but he was also in a show called or a pilot movie called Doctor Scorpion which starred Nick, Man- Nick Mancuso in a comic booky type adventure about a sinister evil power who steals atomic missiles. That aired uh, February 24th, 1978. Then, also in 1978, on May 18th, he was in a Quinn Martin production about two secret government agents, one played by him, one played by Morgan Fairchild, who get their cases from a high-tech computer named Oz. That is called Escapade. And wow. has to be the best thing that ever, ever was made. That's <laughs> have, all you I'm seen, say. have you I seen it? Or? I haven't seen it, but we have it. Um, the opening credits are on YouTube, so okay, uh, check well, it out. Well, in a, in a few episodes, we're going to devote a three-hour episode just to us talking about that. I think we might. It might happen. <laughs> Fantastic. Then he did something called My Wife Next Door, which aired September 1st, 1980, which was a comedy about uh, exes living next door to each other. Wah, wah, wah. You know what? Burt <laughs> Convy did that, too, and I can't remember the name of the show, but he played – he was divorced from a woman who then moved into an apartment with Ken Howard from The White Shadow. Uh-huh. And then I think Burke Convy ends up moving next door to them and hilarity ensues. And what's so interesting about that show was Burke Convy's ex-wife, uh, then wife, uh, was one of the screenwriters of the show. Wait a minute. How do you, how do you divorce Burke Convy? That's my question. That's huh. my question. I can wow. tell you, we could go into Burke Convy's life. I know a little bit about it, but that'll be right after we do that biofeedback episode. We're going to do a four hour episode. Yeah. Yeah. I could go Burt into, Con- we'll do a Burke Convy episode and we'll talk about him. But anyway, so his wife was a, was a screenwriter as well. And so anyway, but this is where, this is the Van Dusen. Let's get back to the Van Dusen. Oh, sorry. Yes. And then on uh, May 28, 1982, he was on a TV series called, well, it was a pilot called This is Kate Bennett, where it's a it's about a single mother news reporter. I don't know who he plays. I just know he's in it. And then the last pilot I saw that he did was called The Staff of Life, which aired May 17, 1985, which is a comedy that goes behind the scenes of a soap opera. Huh. Sounds amazing, right? Yeah. And Ann Van Dusen has gone on to do voices. I think he does video games and he's done cartoons. And he was the voice of Race Bannon in the new Johnny Depp's. Uh, Johnny Depp's. Oh, my God. I wrote Johnny Depp. I meant Johnny Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we do that before in an episode? I think we lied him. Up? I think Johnny Depp's on my mind sometimes because I like him. I admit it. Oh, Even sure. He, he makes really horrible movies. I really like him. <laughs> This was directed by Noel Black, who passed away in 2014. He directed uh, Pretty Poison and was nominated for an Oscar for his first film, a short titled Skater Dater from 1966. Although he started work in theatricals, he settled well into TV movies and episodic television. Having work... uh, Having worked with Anthony Perkins on Pretty Poison, he fought to have Perkins, uh, I'm sorry, Perkins fought to have Black direct Psycho 4, but the job ultimately went to Mick Garris. So that's going kind of off the cuff, but with the same director. And that's all the trivia I have about this. I I think Van Dusen may have been in a Highway to Heaven episode called I Was a Middle-Aged Werewolf. Oh, I have a TV Guide ad for that. I think I think just because I, I, I just looked up Van Dusen real quick because I wanted to see if there was a list of all the pilots he'd been in. And it said he was in 
Well, one thing says he was in, I was a teenage werewolf episode of Highway to Heaven, but that doesn't, I, I get the reference. I think yeah. I was a middle-aged werewolf makes sense from 87, right. October 87, right before Halloween, actually of 87. Scary times. Yeah, I yeah. have a TV guy to add for that episode, but I don't think I've seen it. He's done a lot of TV. I mean, if you don't know who Granville Van Dusen is, if you Google him, you'll you'll recognize him instantly. You'll know his face, yeah. Or you'll think he's Frank Converse. <laughs> I don't know because I, I was. You're think thinking of Frank... of Frank Converse with the mustache. Yeah, moving on is one of my yeah. favorite shows, and I, he's just he's got the mustache in that. No, so Granville Van Dusen and Frank Converse were both in episodes of Magna P, separate episodes of Magna PI, and I think they aired back to back. Like I think Granville Van Dusen was in one episode, and the next week Frank Converse was in an episode, oh. and and they look a lot alike to me. So I always associate them as the, I did for years as the same person. They're obviously not. And for years, the way I could tell them apart was Frank Converse was always like super laid back. And Van Dusen always played these kind of uptight characters. But then the more I got into his career, uh-huh. that was just some characters he played. It, it When I was a kid, it seemed like all I saw were the uptight characters. Mm-hmm. But he really – and he's all, he was also in Soap, by the way. Was it what? When? I can't remember who he plays, but he falls in love with Jessica Tate. He's one of the many men. Who falls uh-huh. in love with Jessica Tate? I feel like he plays a lawyer. Maybe, maybe he was Chester's lawyer. No, Ch- Ch- I know wasn't Chester's lawyer. Um, oh gosh, I forget the guy's name. But, but yeah, the Chess, he's kind of a bigger guy. Uh, I forget. Uh, I can't remember during the during the, the murder trial. Not the piece of Chalif. Oh, are you thinking of uh, Eugene Roche? Oh yes, I am. Okay, or was he was the, the sheriff? Wait a minute. You know what I'm talking I've, about? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm confused. Now we'll, we'll have to figure. We'll, we could be here yeah. all night. I don't yeah. remember offhand who he plays. <laughs> I do remember him on the show. He, yeah. Oh, he played the doctor. He played the doctor. Remember when she gets diagnosed with like a brain tumor or something? Yeah. Right. He's oh, the doctor. Okay. That's right. Okay. Okay. Mystery solved. Yay! Man. But anyway, yeah. So, and I don't remember him playing an uptight guy in that. But for years, that's how I always associated him. And then I started watching movies like Hotline and and things like World Beyond. And I was and feed, biofeedback episode of uh, Bionic Woman. And I was like, oh, he he never plays uptight characters. I don't know why I always think that. But anyway, <laughs> I really like him. I think he's really I, talented. He's very handsome. I think I know why it's his name. I mean, that just seems like a that seems like he's a he would be like a snooty New Englander or something like that. Granville Van Dusen. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue. You want to say it all the time. So if he if he ever listens to this show, hello, Mr. Van Dusen. We love you. <laughs> we do, we do, Get and it. we want to know more about the world beyond. So please give us a call. Yeah, and if you have a copy of the World of Darkness, maybe sitting around, we could you just want to give it to us. Yeah, we could even we, we could, return it. <laughs> we could work with Beta, even I bet if you have it on Beta. Yeah, we could return it for you. So yeah, oh yeah, you we could trust us with it, Mr. Van Dusen. We just need fifty minutes of your time. <laughs> we just do. Anyway, so that's our two movies. Yeah. Uh, and they were both really good. I thought this was a really fun week. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a good time. Yeah, these, these yeah, are really Yeah, I really fun. enjoyed them. And they're nice because it's uh, they're on either end of the 70s. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's yeah. sort of you get you get to see um you get to see the sort of near the start-ish of horror um made for TV movies and then you get to see after there's been a whole bunch of movies right. and TV shows and such and at the point too where uh in 78 where horror is about to reinvent itself with Halloween and such. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, same year actually. That's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. So, I guess we'll just go to feedback? Yeah. Yeah. I think I need to make a little theme for feedback. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, oh, it might it might start something like this. Feedback. Mr. Hazelrig. 
<laughs> so when I meant make a song, I meant pick a song that somebody already did. I'm not like, oh, okay. I'm not like was... uh, Charlie on Podcast Mania. I can't make songs. <laughs> Although I could have him make a song. Oh, wow. We could ask. ask him. I'm sure he'd do I it. I bet he would. You ask him. He, yeah. I might. So yeah. uh, just to move on to feedback, on our website, I thought this was really fun. Uh, somebody named Des Denova, the supervillain of the Ozarks, left a comment. <laughs> and uh, this is about, about gargoyles. I worked on a local theater movie show in college, and one of the movies we showed was Gargoyles. The host had to be gone that week, so I hosted as a gargoyle version of David Letterman. The director went on to work on Star Trek Voyager, Game of Thrones, and Elf. Wow. Yeah, and so he left a link on the comment section so you can watch the video. It's really cute. So if you go on to our website, which I didn't write down, do you know it? <laughs> I can look it up. You uh, okay? Why don't you look it up for a moment, and, and then you can just go to the and look through the comments, and you'll see it. It's it's really worth uh, checking out. Um, and then we didn't get a lot of feedback. Feedback like I didn't get any emails, but we did have some conversations on Twitter with some people. So Annette Sell, who you can follow on Twitter at Bad Chop Suey Two, wrote, uh, "Loved it. Your podcast has been inspiring me to seek out titles I haven't thought about in years. E.g., This House Possessed." So nice. I'm glad to know that I'm spreading the love of this house possessed out there, at least getting people curious about it. Somebody named Tristan Comer, who you can find on Twitter at Songs for Life 24, uh, wrote Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is probably my favorite movie from '81. Really wanted to pick it wow. for the uh, Body Count Continues podcast uh, or the the Hysteria Continues podcast. About to go listen, and I don't know what he thought of it. And he never responded. I wanted to clarify that uh, I was talking about Bargain Bin Horror on the last podcast. Uh, they don't have a podcast yet, but they do have a Twitter. You can follow them at BB Horror. Uh, they have a pretty fun Twitter page, and they follow Friday S a lot. And so I think they're listening, and I hope I didn't upset them if they're not because I didn't know that they don't have a podcast yet. But I'm really looking forward to it when they do it. I also wanted to do a shout-out to Myron Schmidt, who is uh, does a podcast yes. called Ancient Slumber because he's been listening to the shows and corresponding with us, and he's really fun, and he's got a really fun podcast. And so. They Go just ahead. put up a new episode uh, covering the first few uh, Hammer, uh, Christopher Lee vampire films from yes, Hammer. Yes, yes. So I'm really looking forward to listening to those. Uh, the last one I think I listened to was their last episode was The Omen one, which is really good. They do all the Omen movies. So check them out. And then also our friend Shannon, who you can find on Twitter at Rusting Willing Power, uh, tweeted to let us know that she was re-listening to episode eight with a clearer head. And she said it was one of the most entertaining episodes ever, which I think is great that she said Yay! that. Because I was getting really grumpy at the end of that one. You know what? You know what's funny is I didn't I didn't notice it uh, until you said uh, <laughs> she, you said to me like in an email. I feel like I got grumpy at the end of that one. I said no, you didn't. And then I was listening to it and I thought, huh. Maybe she got a little grumpy at the end of that one. I got a little grumpy. Because you're think, like you're like I have a story, and I'm like, quick. There, there, yeah. There were one. I went off on one too many possible tangents. Near the end of that <laughs> well, one. tangents are you know they're going to happen, but it, it's late here for me. I'm two hours ahead, yes. of you, so. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess I got kind of caught up in that. So that was pretty much the the feedback we got. Shannon's um, review of us on iTunes reappeared. Yay. So you can uh, review us on iTunes as well. We'd love oh, it. Yes, please. That helps people find us. Mm -hmm. So if you have a moment and you enjoy the show, please go on and leave a comment or give us a star rating. So I'll give you us I'll give you our contact information. Oh, and then, may oh, I? Yeah. May I? Oh, I was just gonna just one more thing. Um, it was when I posted up a picture of one of the gargoyles today on Facebook. My friend Scott Reynolds, 
who was actually the guy who introduced me to Devil's Express, which we were talking uh-huh. about at the beginning. And he's a writer for Jessica Jones, the show oh, wow. on Marvel. And he 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 put uh, some I forget exactly what he said, but something like gargoyles feel the Bernie. Oh, that's right. that's right, that's right, Bernie Casey. So so thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. That was really cute. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Scott's awesome. Yeah. I feel like I missed a piece of feedback. I don't know what it was, so I'll have to go back and find it. Um, so you can contact us through email at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, under the Made for TV Mayhem show, or you could follow us on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast. And you know what? That's a good way to find our website because both our Facebook page and our Twitter has links yeah. to it. And it and is – I found the website. Okay. What is it's, it? It's wordpress.com. Perfect. That's what I thought it was, but I keep thinking mm. it's something going to be like made for TV. I've added a few things to our website. So we have links to other podcasts that we like. I'm going to be, there's only like three podcasts on there right now. Um, the ones I always talk about anyway. So um, I'm going to be adding to those. I've tried to make it look a little better. I've tried to clean it up. Uh, I have links to both. My blog, which is made for TV Mayhem, and Dan's blog, which is an American Polish guy reviews things. Did I get that right? Yeah, it's uh, Polish American guy reviews Okay, and you can find it if you go onto our website for the podcast. Yes. Um, and then I think I added a couple other things. I'm still adding to the recommended reading. I just added something called the TV book. Uh, and I did a little review of it. And we're going to get a list of all the movies we've talked about to you eventually. We're working, Dan's working on that. Yeah, um, I, I, I wrote down everything we talked about in the first episode and then immediately lost the sheet of paper I wrote it down <laughs> we'll, on. So I'm going to do we'll that again. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. And we'll get that to you. So please visit us. Uh, visit us as often as you want. We, we really would love to hear from you yeah. about anything about the movies we just talked about or the movies we're going to talk about or movies we have talked about or movies we've never talked about. <laughs> Anything TV related we want to hear about. Yes, please. Um, so next, our next episode should be really, really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. So it's going to be a dedication to Karen Black, and we are going to be watching Trilogy of Terror and The Strange Possession of Mrs. Oliver. Woo! Um, which are both really cool movies, and um, you know Karen Black, even though she didn't do a ton of TV movies, she's pretty iconic. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to have a lot of fun talking about that, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Yes. And we hope you have a good night, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah, good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And I'm going to get the Iron Man pants, by the way, the Iron Man. Well, let us know how that works out in the next episode. I will. I will. Yay. Okay, bye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody.